Welcome back, everybody. You are tuned in to the Bones Brigade audio show. I am Larry, and with me, as always, is Matt. Matt, thanks for joining me once again for this adventure. I wouldn't miss it. So today, we're going to dip into Band This, Bones Brigade Video 6, and uh, we're going to dip into why it's Bones Brigade Video 6 a little later. We've got a couple great guests joining us in a little bit, Jim Fitzpatrick who was a former employee of Paul Peralta. And we also have pro skater Bobby Puglio joining us for the video review segment. But I think to kick this thing all off is something that I've been looking forward to since we've... Since we connected initially. Yeah. And yeah. since we were starting this podcast is you were in fact at the world premiere of Band This. I was. Yeah, I was. And and I would love for you to just run us through how that happened, how you yeah. got in, what what it was yeah. all like. Just just break down all the details for the kids. Yeah, it was cr- it was crazy. Um, I'm sure you probably have all figured out by now that I I'm a Midwest boy. I'm from St. Louis, and you know, um, yeah, sometime in the in the in the summer of uh, of 1989, we got the uh, got a package from Powell. Got a, a little invitation in the mail or a little envelope in the mail i should say and uh i don't remember if it came in one of the kind of i don't remember if it came with an intelligence report or not i think it was just a something we got from powell showed up in the mail solo package it's a little package and of course you know anytime you get anything from from a 501 east gutierrez street you were you ripped it open you know immediately and uh yeah inside this envelope was a little other envelope and inside that envelope was an invitation to the world premiere of ban this bones brigade video six which of course immediately you're like what video six like that should be video five right right but you know um yeah we got this thing in the mail and i think a lot of my friends uh got it the same day and it basically said yeah like we're having the, the world premiere for for this new paul video is going to be in st louis it's going to be downtown at this place called the sheldon concert hall and you're invited and the That's you great. know you can yeah you can just call and they're giving away tickets to the first 150 bones brigade members that call in Okay. So, so how, how do you end up, I mean, how, how do they know who you are or have your address? Yeah. So they, they sent them out to everybody who was in the Bones Brigade, like fan club, you know what I mean? The, the Bones Brigade yeah. mail order team or whatever you wanted to call it, you know, a Bones yeah, Brigade the fan member. club or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We are and both was, cart uh, carrying members. We are. Yeah. So I, I think like anybody who was in the St. Louis area that had a, a Bones Brigade membership got the invitation. They just drew um, a circle around St. Louis and grabbed all yeah. the zip codes and then just yeah. mailed yeah. this out. 
Yep, exactly. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I was freaking out, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, it was just one of those things like you almost couldn't believe you were looking at it because mm-hmm. there was, it just didn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like it, it defied logic. It was like, why is that happening here? You know, why, you know what I mean? Like nobody could understand like why. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be in California or LA yeah. or yeah, like Santa Barbara here? Right. Yeah. But we, we figured out pretty quick that the uh, there was a local shop called Splash that we all went to, and they were a big Powell dealer. Okay. And their name was all over this thing. It's like a place to buy tickets and this and that. And so um, I talked, you know, I immediately, like we went to went up to Splash and we're like, what is this? And they're like, oh yeah, we're doing the, you know, they're going to have the premiere here. And so, yeah, my, my friend Dave and I and, and Ryan, we all got that thing on the same day. My friend Chad too. My whole they crew. were in the, the Bones oh, Brigade yeah, Club too. Yeah, okay. we're all in the, yep, all in the, in the club. And uh, yeah, we just, you know, called each other and we're like, did you get this thing? Did you, you know, like we were all, <laughs> none of us could, <laughs> we were all just sort of like, yeah, we got together and we all had our little invitations and um, we called and reserved our spots immediately, you know, so. That's awesome. So who yeah. do you call? You call Splash or you're calling Powell or? No, uh, you called, uh, let me see here. Um, we had, no, you called Powell. Yeah, you called Powell. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, you could get, a, there was two free tickets that you could get per household that it was mailed to. Okay. So while we were able to secure some tickets, my brother and I got tickets for it. Nice. So you still have the invite and you actually, have I do. It. I'm holding it right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, can, I, you read, actually, can you read it to us or is that? I can. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I saved everything. From, we'll post this stuff on the Instagram. I, I think we should probably do that, but I have the program uh, from the, uh, from the evening. I have my ticket stub and I have the invitation and uh, yeah, it, it says, uh, I'll read it to you word for word. This is on Paul Peralta letterhead, by the way. Hey, Brigadier, imagine yourself sitting with Tony Hawk, Ray Barbie, Lance Mountain, Stacy Peralta, and George Powell watching the world premiere of Ban This, our newest video production. Got that? You're there with your popcorn and your drink, and there's McGill sitting next to you, and it's showtime. Too good to be true? Well, it's all possible because Paul Peralta is bringing the world premiere of Ban This to St. Louis, and because you're a Bones Brigade member. You're invited to the very first showing ever on Saturday, November 18th at Sheldon Concert Hall. Just follow these simple instructions to obtain your two free tickets. And then there's the list of the list of uh, instructions. And then number seven is hang up the phone and get stoked. Nice. So did they mail you physical tickets or you just yeah. will call those? Nope. Mailed physical tickets. We got them in the mail. Wow. How long did and, it take for them to show up after you uh, called? It wasn't long. Uh, you know, a few days they showed, they showed up within a week, two weeks, something like that. You know, they, wow. they, they, they were there quick. We were guarding them with our lives. Yeah, I would. Now too. I will tell you that um, George Powell was not there. McGill did not sit next to me. <laughs> there was no popcorn that I can remember. Lance Mountain was not there, but other than that, it's pretty, pretty spot on. So when the invite showed up in the mail, how long till you're calling long distance to California that oh, evening it, or immediately? Instantly. Or- yeah, yeah. In- instantly, instantly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they had very specific times on when you could call. It was between five and 8 PM California time on weekdays. So, so you're remember. just calling after hours and leaving a, a voicemail. No, or- we called during We We called and got, got them on the phone and reserved the tickets. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was pretty amazing, man. It was, it was a, it was like one of those things that you almost couldn't believe was real. 
like you just couldn't believe that it was actually going to happen. And then the rest of the summer. Yeah. So how long did you get the ticket show up in the mail? And then how long till is it till the premiere? It was a couple months. Two, it was probably, well, I want to say that this, we probably got this probably late summer. I'm thinking like July, okay. you know, July, and What's August. the date of the premiere? It was November 18th, 1989. Okay. So you've yeah. got a, a few months to kill. So you got a few School's months. School's going to be back in session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a long few months, man. Because yeah. we were just like, just could not wait for that night to come. So, And the anticipation was just like, we were just talking constantly about like, who's going to be like in it you know what i mean like who's mm -hmm. you know what i mean we're just just we we're just spec it was just speculating like what tricks are gonna you know you're gonna be out you know what i mean like that kind of stuff yeah, you know what yeah. i mean yeah like is underhill gonna have a part like his board was out barbie's board was out you know yeah that kind of stuff so the big day finally comes and yeah so actually the day before okay there was a okay so the, the day before the what was it the day before can't remember if it was the day before or the day of i think it was the day of the day of uh at splash they had a they had like an autograph signing and okay. it was it was so the, the people who were there was steve size uh ray barbie ray underhill and tony hawk nice also uh, stacy peralta was there mm -hmm. and uh we came to find out later uh sean cliver was in attendance at this thing of course no one knew what he looked like he was still pretty new yeah he's still new yeah you know i think call. he came in in the beginning of 89 yeah yeah but he was definitely already making his mark because you know a lot of his graphics were heavily uh shown in that video with the size mm -hmm. feathers and um the, the ray barbie board the ragdoll and yeah um yeah the cab caballero ban this dragon which is my favorite graphic of all time by the way oh nice but um so the, the day before they had this, they had this autograph signing at Splash. There was like a line out the door, way, way long out the door, like down this whole sidewalk of this sort of strip mall. And uh, yeah, I have photos from that too. You can post up, but um, it was amazing. It was like, you know, going into the skate shop I've been in a million times and like sitting behind the counter is like those four. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just amazing, man. Wow. I, I still have, I got a, Paul Peralta poster, like the Ripper poster, and I got it signed by everybody. And yeah, it was amazing. It was incredible. So, so then we were, everyone was stoked. Everyone was just like on cloud nine, buzzing from just meeting these, these guys, just being in their presence, you know? Yeah. So we went out and we skated the rest of the day. And then that night we piled into, uh, I think it was my friend Ryan's mom or something like that drove us, drove us all down there. It was me, my brother, Dave, Ryan, Chad. And uh, yeah, we just, rolled up to the Sheldon and there's just people everywhere, you know, just every skateboarder in the city was there and it was just complete chaos. It was so fun. That's awesome. So how long till you got in? Like what's you going in and, and what happens? You go right um, to your seat or is there? Yeah, pretty much go right to the on? seat. So there's lots of parents there, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, there's just lots of kids. So kids like yeah. Parents had to kind of wait out in the, in the lobby area. Okay. So did you have like VIP access from being in the club or was it also general admission to the public or? So there was actually two showings, the, the 18th and the 19th. So okay. the 18th was invite only. So it was only if you got this thing in the mail mm -hmm. and then the, the next night was general, general public. I don't think that all the pros like stuck around for night two. I'm not sure if they were there or not. Okay. But yeah, um, yeah, it was it was only it was only the in, invite uh, invitees that were there for that one, and um, 
I was lucky enough to be one of them. So you're just posted up with your, your buddies. Did they have yeah, uh, just, an, an introduction or yeah, like that? Yeah. They, there was a, there was a little bit of an introduction from the stage. Uh, Stacy Peralta came up and spoke, you know, got a standing ovation. People were freaking out. And Amazing. Yeah. we. I think it was kind of like general admission seating. I don't remember having like an assigned seat. I think he just kind of went in there and found a seat, like kind of like a movie theater sort of yeah. thing. But yeah, we got really got really good seats. And uh, yeah, and then and then it was just like a bomb going off as soon as that ripper came on stage, you know, came on the screen, Uh like the fingers poked through. It was just like you couldn't even make out what was going on. It was just like being in a. I don't even know, like a like a, like a concert or a, like a concert, a yeah, it was like being at a concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Taylor Swift was on stage <laughs> or something, you know. But no, yeah. I mean, it was it was crazy. And then the movie started, and the rest was history. Frankie Hill came out and blew everyone's mind. And yeah, I was gonna ask. So, what were can I mean? I'm sure when it was over, you're like, I want to watch that again immediately. But you know, yeah. since it's not. <laughs> released yet and you can't watch it what are the parts that are kind of sticking in your head that you're just like i can't wait to see that again yeah so i became a massive frankie hill fan that night okay you know i i I, i'd seen public domain plenty and i thought that his his part was really cool and obviously like he wasn't afraid to like go down big things but that was like there wasn't a whole lot that was on par with that at the time in terms of like how how gnarly that was that mm-hmm. part was there was almost nothing out that had anybody like skating that big of stuff and that you know what i mean with like that much abandon and like just throwing it all and hucking himself and like so people were like i came away from that going like frankie hill rules but there was people in that in that video i'd never heard of before like i had never heard of the, the la boys i didn't know who any of those guys really were yeah no one um, did I, yeah and i didn't know who you know javante was and salman Nagal was in that and i didn't know who those guys were yeah that, Obviously, they were all brand new guys yeah, yeah. barbie's part stood out the 540 uh ollie you know tony hawk's 540 ollie was crazy mm-hmm. good um, everybody thought like the, I mean, dude, everybody was just so psyched, like to see something, you know, like back then it was like seeing something new was like, so now it, it I mean, I hate to be that like a, B it. Cause you can't compare now to then, but like, now it's like, you, you couldn't even keep up with the amount of skate footage that comes out every day, every yeah. day. Yeah. If you yeah. tried, you would spend your entire life just watching skate footage. Like back then it was like, you got a couple new videos a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. you know most of the time you were watching the same thing over and over again so just to see anything new that was that well produced and like that you know what i mean like just that gnarly it was just i don't know dude it was a massive like game changer everybody was so psyched that night man it was so it was just so great that's amazing they sold a lot of boards that that night i can tell you that yeah so it it ends and then what what happens is there an after party or is there a q and a yeah. or the the skaters are high-fiving everybody yeah <laughs> yeah there's no q and a uh they didn't do anything like that once the movie ended everybody kind of filed upstairs and there was like a reception after the after oh, cool. the video ended yeah so upstairs at the sheldon i've been up there a couple times since for for weddings and for like you know work functions and stuff like that it looks exactly the same but there's like this kind of ballroom upstairs yeah we everybody went up there and they had like all the pros that were in attendance were up there stacy everybody was just kind of mobbing tony hawk and asking you know people were getting autographs and getting photos taken and talking about skate stuff with their heroes and you know and i do remember one thing i really remember that stands out is uh there was a bulldog 
up there that everybody assumed was the the bulldog from public domain yeah i mean like, how could you not assume yeah that, i guess it looked exactly like it and everyone was like oh my god they brought the bulldog for <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, no, I met I met all those guys that night. I did. I met I, I talked to Ray Barbie for quite a long time and uh, Steve Size for quite a long time. Just, you know, whatever fanboy kind of chit chat stuff. But they were super, super, super nice. Ray was a just a, an amazingly nice guy and mm-hmm. posed for pictures with everybody. And Tony, was, they were all super nice, super stoked to be there. And like, you know, they were all very, very cool with the amount of, you know, like sort of just I'm sure they were just completely like not into being like mobbed by like 900 screaming you know <laughs> but i'm sure they're probably used to it too by to a certain extent as i remember it there was like these stand-up you know cardboard stand-up cutouts of the uh the professor from band this that were kind of peppered around the room there was some kind of display in the middle that had like some tvs on it that were playing maybe might have been playing the video oh, cool. or something like that my, my memory on it's a bit fuzzy but um Anyway, that was it, man. I mean, we just hung out there up, you know, for a little while and and wandered around and took it all in and just were just trying to like soak up every second of it, you know. That's awesome. Did you get photos with any of the guys? Yeah, yeah. I don't know where they are. I have a photo of me and of me and uh well, I have photos, but I don't know where any of the ones with me in them are. They okay. might be in like photo albums of at my mom's house or something, but I have a bunch of photos from that night. Some of my brother, some of some friends. I have a photo of my brother with Tony Hawk. If anyone's interested and in, uh, they want to, I don't know. Do you still have any available? I, I wrote a, I wrote a little, uh, ta- a little story about this tale for one of Larry's uh, zines a few years back. So yeah. there's some photos from that in there. If you want to see it's on the, the website too. If you go to uh, purefunskatezine.com, you can read it, it read it yeah. there. Yeah. Band in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah that's right. So yeah, man. I mean, it was um, it was just one of the best nights of my life. It really was. I mean, it really truly was. It was. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I will go to the grave with it. It was like a a true milestone for me. You know, mm-hmm. growing up, it was like one of those things that I'll just you know never forget. It was like a turning point thing because you know people you know nobody I don't know like stuff like that happening back then here was just not heard of, and so everybody was just so grateful to have been there and. You know, mm-hmm. been able to experience that and everything. So it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Powell was just like, let's let's take it to the heartland. Let's get let's to the middle it, yeah. of the country. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. They knew where their bread was buttered. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was just one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Ever. And that's... yeah, like the more I the more I, you know, kind of get into talking about this stuff with you and with the guests and everything, the more it kind of all clicks together. You know, there's like I had a lot of questions about about it over the years that I never really felt like I got answered, you know, like uh-huh. the why, like, why the hell did you do it in St. Louis and yeah. and all that and those things, you know they're starting to kind of like just make more sense and sort of like there wasn't really any kind of big i don't know i always to me there was always like some big grand crazy thing that happened and blah 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 and there's all these ideas that i had and it was really not that complicated they just sort of decided to do it here (laughs) yeah (laughs) hey isn't there on one of your tickets or one of your uh doesn't it say Bones Brigade Video 5 on one of those things? No. No? I thought nope, maybe you told no. me something no. that did. Mm-hmm. Nope. The, the, the premiere, the world premiere invitation that I have uh, says, Paul Peralta presents the world premiere of Band This, Bones Brigade Video 6, November 18th, 1989. And yeah, we, we really, truly were like completely 
thrown off when we saw that. Yeah, yeah, it did for everybody, I think. Yeah, yeah, because we were just like, what did we miss here, man? Like, there's yeah, well, Public we'll Domain ask, was number four. Yeah, we'll ask Jim about that in a little bit. Definitely, definitely. So I guess any other tidbits about the premiere you can throw at us? If not, yeah. we can uh, bring on the oh. guest. Not really. That's pretty much the whole story, man. It was uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, like I said, I got a lot of stuff from that night, uh, photos, and I actually still have the jacket that I wore that night. It was a blue uh, Paul Peralta Vato Rat uh, windbreaker. Nice. And I still have my pink bones. You know, what do they call it? Like skeleton hand plant, you know? Oh, skateboarding skeleton. Skateboarding skeleton. Yep. Uh, t shirt. I that that. Yeah, I still have both of those things that I that I wore that night. Uh, <laughs> they're up in my in my attic in a tub, but I, I held on to them. And I have I have a band this shirt that I got shortly thereafter. That those are super super rare. You don't see a ton of those. And then I have you have like, a poster uh, too, right? I have a poster from that from that from the band this. Did uh, you get it from the premiere, or did you just buy, get that? I later? truly do not remember where I got it. I, I probably got it from Splash. They used to get tons of that stuff, and they would just give it to us. I don't remember ever seeing one for that i think yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty it's rare. one of those ones that like you know it's kind of like i don't know what the dimensions are but it like it's like one of those powell posters that has like the one side is like the pro all the products like the oh yeah the yeah top and okay leaves, yeah you know and all that stuff yeah it's just one of those man it's like i got that i got the super service on the wall here and the and the wing dripper banner and all that i kept all that crap on there the you complete go. pack rap. but i'm glad i did you know yeah there's probably not a whole lot of surviving uh examples of this stuff out there i so, might have the, i might have the only remaining examples of most of this stuff yeah we'll put yeah. it on the instagram you guys can all check it out yeah that'll be great live vicariously through me you think we should uh bring on the guests and we'll get into uh band this well, let's do it i think where this is going to be a uh, an interesting few hours here so yeah. let's let's get this party started all right, everybody, please welcome Jim Fitzpatrick and Bobby Puglio. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And today we're going to dive deep onto uh, the skate video band This, which is Bones Brigade video number six. It was released on VHS in 1989, has a running time of one hour, 17 minutes, and it's the longest Powell video to date. And it premiered November 18th, 1989 at the Sheldon Concert Hall on Washington Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri. And I like to name off uh, some of the kind of main credits so we know what we're dealing with, with here. Uh, executive producer George Powell. It was directed by Stacy Peralta and C.R. Stesic. Director of photography, Robert Catilla. Lighting director was Nel Nelson Hernandez. It was written by Jim Fitzpatrick. Yeah, there's a lot of dialogue in there. Yeah, based <laughs> on his original novel titled Band This. We need to find out all about this novel. I'm dying uh, to yeah, my hands yeah. on it. Uh, the music director was Dennis Dragon. It was edited by Stacey Peralta, Robert Cotilla, Dennis Dragon, and Peter McKeon. And then filmed by Stacey Peralta, Robert Cotilla, C.R. Stesic, Dick Damage, Peter McKeon, Tony Hawk, Lance Mountain, Steve Caballero, and Pat Darren. So if you've been following the show so far, you've you've definitely recognized those names on the other videos. Um, we usually start out with how this video came into everyone's lives or they first saw it, but it's kind of 
This one's a little different because Jim, you know, worked behind the scenes on the video. Matt was at the premiere. So Bobby, how about you? Maybe you could uh, explain how you first saw band this. First of all, you know, viewing any Powell video around that time was a, it was, it was required viewing in terms of when I first saw it, no idea. But having said that, I'm sure I saw it quickly after it came out. And uh, like I said, required viewing it was almost like you could not at first mention of a new powell video it was you were counting down the moments until you got to view it i don't remember it was one of my friends that got it or if i saw it in the skate shop but having just rewatched it i remember especially based on the music i remember how in uh intently i had studied it and almost to the point where i could recite dialogue I knew what parts were coming up, you know, uh, after a part had ended and, and blah, blah, blah. But I, I will say that the soundtrack is absolutely dynamic for what they were working with. And that was absolutely one of my favorite things, you know, even going back to the prior videos before that, the Powell videos, the soundtracks were always amazing. And I also wanted to point out that this is coming from a point of, or it seems like from, you know, wherever that, who, whoever was putting the soundtrack together, they were pulling from agencies that were uh, seemed to be kind of like either orchestrating their own their own music or getting licensed free stuff. But obviously, there's some Chuck Tree stuff in there. Uh, but this soundtrack, it seems to be very uh, kind of like sample heavy, which is kind of interesting considering matching it up with Stesic's kind of like flashing art. Mm-hmm. almost is like an element of like, you know, kind of bombarding the, the listener. And so the two elements together, I mean, the Powell videos are, were always good for that, but the two elements together is like really this intense viewing. And then you have all the skating, which was mind boggling as well at the time. So, uh, so yeah, so back to your original question, I have no idea where I saw it first. Matt, so after the premiere, how long, I would imagine, you know, you're super excited to see it again. So how long yeah. till it, is released on on vhs that you get it and get to see it again i don't remember you know it was back in those days you remember like it just took longer for things to come out to where you could just get them i want to say maybe it was like six months or something oh, wow. like that well was, i don't know if it was quite i that got long. it for christmas 89 and oh, then the really? premiere was in november yeah okay maybe i'm misremembering it it must have been closer then yeah we yeah the premiere was in november i don't think i got it i don't think i got it right away it was probably like spring of the following year that i finally had enough money to go buy a copy or something we worked our ass off so it would be available for christmas okay in in, in 89 so that's really disappointing yeah (laughs) (laughs) i could be i could be totally wrong about that i I might be thinking of something like i I might be thinking about when i got like hocus pocus or whatever like all that stuff kind of runs together but um yeah it was shortly thereafter and i was so excited to rewatch it because you know when were you there, Fitz? I mean, were you there in, at the oh, yeah. premiere? You were there. So were oh, yeah. you there in the theater when it when it happened? Yeah, I was up on the stage, and and, and it was Stesic was introduced by. Uh, I, I actually had the microphone. I think I was the MC. Oh, that's crazy! And man. I introduced uh, Stesic as uh, Stacy Peralta, and he <laughs> took his. I said he's the he's the gentleman up there in the in the uh, balcony with his cap on, and he took his cap and put it on top of. Uh, Kurt Stevenson, who was Larry Stevenson, Makaha Skateboards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Curtis was Larry's son. 
And so Curtis got very embarrassed and took the hat off. So this was, you know, shenanigans were starting yeah. from the very beginning. <laughs> well, you remember how founder of Power Edge magazine as well. Yes, that's right. Curtis, that's right. inventor of the kicktail. Yes. Well, I was, uh, you know, you if you were there, you know, you remember how chaotic it was, especially like when when the Ripper came on and then when Frankie's part started. I mean, it was pandemonium. And, and it was like one of those things that went by so quick that you just couldn't wait to go and rewatch it. So the Frankie part, I was so excited to rewatch that. I, I remember I ran, I told, I told, probably told this story before, but I ran that Frankie Hills, like the red sweatpants and the green. That was like my, I wore that every day for that like, was kit. <laughs> in the ensuing <laughs> several months, but yeah. So now it was awesome. I, I, I don't remember exactly when I got it on home video, but yeah, I watched it a lot. All right, Jim, my question for you, you know, since, you know, it came into your life the second it was starting to be made. But so what I was wondering is how long after public domain is in the can does Stacy start thinking we got to start working on the next one? Is it the very next day or does he just, you know, take a couple months off or how long till it really starts to ramp up for band this? Yeah, that's a good question because... There were always, we were always working on projects and sometimes they were parallel and sometimes they were uh, destined to collide. And uh, a good example would be in the credits, you'll notice that there's a special appearance by Lowell Cream and people might say, who in the hell is Lowell Cream? Well, he was the uh, official, if you will, during the um, golf contest. Oh, how funny. And he comes in in a striped shirt and whistles. And I think he says, foul, that's a foul. Well, Lowell Cream was part of a band called 10CC in London, in England. Oh, yeah, 10CC. And he was in 10CC? Wow. Yeah, he was one of the founders of the band. And he directed, they, they hired a group to make their first music video. And they hated it so much, they fired the guy and he directed their first music video for 10CC. And that opened up this whole career for him. And he became really a successful music video producer director for other bands in England. And then his kid is credited with introducing him in the credits. There's some, but his kid, yeah, of course, appears courtesy of, yeah, I thought yeah. that was some type of inside joke in the credits. So it's his son that he appears courtesy of. Yeah. And <laughs> we were working for Lowell. So Craig Stesick and I were working for Lowell developing a screenplay which we could go into, but it, it was a parallel activity. And we ended up creating a product called the Videola. And the Videola is very hard to find. Um, mm -hmm. I found my own personal copy just last week. Wow. Uh, and I'm now having it duped out at Powell. And the Videola has a lot of special effects in it. And it was something that Lowell was trying to present to producers in London, people that he knew. He was working out of Hollywood and got into a lot of claymation type and early computer graphic sort of animation stuff when we were working with him. And he became extremely wealthy as a result of, he did these commercials for Chevron and the, the cars pulling, so they were all animated, Chevron gasoline, and the cars were animated and they would pull in and start talking to each other in the gas station next to the pumps. And there were cute cars and old trucks and different things. And this was all Lowell's work. And he was trying to help us get into commute computer animation. That was something that we worked on steadily while at the same time, immediately realizing, okay, we have to up our game after public domain. And, and then 
clearly Frankie as a skater, as a personality, as a person was exploding in popularity, as was Ray Barbie as a result of public domain, as were the quote unquote rubber boys, and then Guy, Rudy, Paolo, and Gabriel uh, also. And then ironically, of course, they were almost not on the team anymore. So, um, and by the time, I think when Ban this really hit in the early in early 1990. They were actually exiting the scene, so it was very. There were always several plates in the air, and ban this was one of them. Although we didn't have that working title. Yeah, there's actually a. Uh, okay, well, this kind of brings up. So Matt and I, as we've been going through these videos, we've been trying to figure out uh, the numbering of them. Like, so we said today, this is ban this is you know right on the cover it says video six. Yeah. But public domain is video four. Yeah. And there's actually an article you wrote in the intelligence report talking about the, it's, but it's, uh, there's no title in the, in the article. It's just like Bones Brigade video five coming soon. And it's all about ban this, but then the video <laughs> comes out and it's number six. Did somebody just goof up somewhere or is there a reason that the numbering got switched? Well, there was a lot of drugs and alcohol involved. No, that's not true. Um, I, I was old then. Everybody thought I was old then, and that was 30 years ago. You know, details. I, the, the funny thing is that, you know, Craig and Stacy had this long-standing working relationship, and a lot of it was misdirection, and a lot of it was the power of suggestion, and, and much of it was an experiment, and that was part of the joy. And talking to Robert Kittler recently, he and I were talking about the creativity and the number of cameras, the number of different approaches, the number of different ways that we blew up televisions, the number of, of camera uh, apparatus that we developed, that Robert developed, that I developed, that we everything was done as creatively as possible for the sake of just being creative. And part of it was to eliminate you know, anything that was stale. Uh, we certainly didn't want to repeat anything. And so the numbering, yeah, I can remember writing that uh, for the intelligence report, IR smart. Um, the, uh, <laughs> we, we <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and then a lot of it was humor too. So uh, it wasn't a devious plan. It wasn't malicious or, you know, meant to upset people, but librarians, you know, people like that who are sequential, you know, the Dewey Decimal System, those things are important for some people. Yeah, that was definitely like one that we were, Completely, because I, I remember getting the uh, the invite, you know, to the premiere, and it was like Bones Brigade Video Six, and I'm like, what? Did I miss one? Like, <laughs> we had we had heard, you know, you'd heard whispers of the fabled Axe Rated, you yeah, know, out there, um, but I didn't know anybody who'd actually seen it. And of course, back in those days, you know, those things were, you know, to a 13 year old in the Midwest, you're like, oh yeah, there's a fifth Paul video. It's called Axe Rated, and you're like, yeah, okay, like I would know, dude, if there was, you know, and there was. But um, yeah, I remember getting that and all of my friends and I getting the invitation at the same time because we were all on the Bones Brigade, you know, the mail order Bones Brigade. Yeah. So we got the invites and we're all like, video six, like same question, like what? how did that happen? And the ticket to attend was free, right? It was free. Yeah, you had to yeah. call. Um, yeah, you had to be, there was a, a limited number of tickets and you had to call. Yeah, I, I think they had, the, they, they had the time when the phones opened to reserve your tickets. And I was yeah. like, told my mom, I was like, we are getting tickets. We're on the phone that minute. Because a lot them. of the on the ground work was done by Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. Bolt at, yeah, at, Kyle. Uh, yeah, and Kyle and his sister, Joni, Joni. 
Yep. Man, she had the great voice, didn't she? Yeah, so, I, Joni was super. They were, man, they were great. So, okay, so real quick, before we get into this, man, I, this is a question <laughs> I have, I've always had. Now, for real, I, I really, I, maybe you can shed some light on it. How did the band this premiering in St. Louis happen? We all had our speculations, and I remember asking Kyrill several times, and he would yeah. never really kind of divulge. He just kind of said they sort of asked, and Stacy said that if they arranged at all they well, can have it in st louis but yeah so the i mean it's a simple story where craig and i were talking and we and then we took up the conversation with stacy and and craig i think was probably the idea behind it that the last thing we wanted to do to to be creative and not repeat ourselves we didn't want to do it in hollywood that had been done we didn't want to do it in santa monica that had been done we didn't want to do it in santa barbara that had already been done so you know, what was the next best thing? And so th there was some discussion about going to New York and trying to, you know, out New York, the New York scene. But really, it was like, Mo, let's go, you know, let's get to the middle of the middle of America. Let's, you know, let's mm -hmm. go where nobody's been before. And I had a really good working relationship with Cairo and Joni, and they brought their dad out to ASR. It would have been in the spring show of 80 nine so it would have been about six or seven months mm -hmm. before the premiere it would have been in february of 89 and their dad was insane i mean he was just he was like a god and he was this big strapping guy and he was famous for putting together incredibly disparate things and bringing them all together he would go and gather up used bricks and build a brick wall just because he had a thousand bricks to build with i mean he was just fantastic. And so I knew from my experience with Cairo, I mean, he set up a skate shop, I mean, a skate park every summer yeah, and then took right. it down, you know, yeah. afterward. Yeah. And nobody was doing that stuff. Oh man, that was and, legendary. Yeah. And and so I, I ran the idea by him and he goes, oh yeah, there's this, of course, there's this theater downtown that would be perfect, you know? And, and so from our standpoint, it was actually... I mean, we didn't have to do very much work on the ground because they were so dedicated to helping it, helping us pull it off. We always thought like maybe there was like a sales contest in whatever store because they were like a heavy Powell dealer. I remember like we bought. Yeah, like they were. Ton. And so we were always and we, wondering. And plus like, we was... had we had about a bazillion miles. Uh, we used a your travel center in downtown Santa Barbara. And we used your travel center for all of our travel to contests, everything. And we had. A hundred, I don't know, five hundred thousand miles to use that had built up in the in the company's account because we brought about thirty or forty people from Powell, team skaters, people in the sales department, some of the guys from the wood shop, and it's like let's all go to St. Louis yeah. and have a good time. So that was that was crazy, uh, but it was more fun. I'm, you know, so yeah. uh, we we invested heavily in the whole experience. Well, thank you for doing that. You know, that was a uh, that was a massive, monumental, formative milestone in my life. Oh, cool. You know, there was just wasn't stuff like that happening back then. I mean, there is yeah. now, but, you know, to, yeah. for something like that to happen here in 1989. Was I don't like... know if you're aware of it, but Craig and I, we had just received a, a Canon. It's kind of like a super shot, a little miniature, a very small handheld digital camera that we hooked up live to the so we were standing at the front door to the theater and as people walked into the theater it was the, the image was displayed on the screen through the video projector and people came in and sat down and we followed individual kids down to their seat 
And they were so enthralled by what was going on. I don't think anybody ever recognized themselves up on the big screen, but we thought it was really cool. Yeah, that is cool. I like that. <laughs> wow, that'd be a trip to see. Hey, Matt, I got a quick question for you. Did you yeah. go to the uh, the St. Louis Vert Contest in, what was that, 87? Uh, you mean the uh, Island Water Sports, the VP Fair, the outdoor one? The VP Fair one, yeah. I did not go to that. Were you skating at that time or was that slightly too early? It was probably right around the time I was starting to skate. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you hear of it or did you, uh, yeah. did, was that a big deal as well? In, in... Yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah, Hasoy was yeah. there for that, I remember. And uh, I had, a, there was a bunch of people that I know that, that were there. But yeah, uh, yeah I didn't, uh, didn't make it to that. I think Tony won that probably wasn't he winning everything basically yeah that time? yeah probably yeah yeah it's funny man uh i was just about to ask the same thing why why did the premiere happen in st louis like how does something like that work you know i was gonna say i was gonna say something similar like there's there's uh certain bands that will move to a centrally located place in the middle of the country so that they can tour real easily get to every you know little spot and they're centrally located and i was curious if that was kind of the uh the reasoning. Where in New York were you planning on? Uh, if New York was going to happen, what was who was who was involved in that conversation? It was brief. It was just a blip on the screen. It was like yeah, yeah. It was too big of a challenge. Yeah, you know, and there yeah, were there were you know um, Rodney from Shut, and there were different people that we could have worked with, but we really wanted to go. And plus, I think there was a feeling that now nah, there's always something going on in New York. Whatever happens. Yeah. In us. you know it, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. it was really an opportunity to do something that we felt yeah. was unique plus i guess around that time you were having like savannah slamma you were having ohio skate out there was all, there was a lot of focus on this on the rest of the country you know yeah so, yeah. So yeah it kind of fits in really good oh one other thing i just want to really uh throw this in really quickly the world tour video did that ever come out on vhs no i mean it wasn't okay. supposed to right because i was thinking to myself i wonder if the world tour video was slipped in there and of course i thought axe rated as well which did axe rated ever come out on vhs it wasn't supposed to it was just yeah. both of those were just meant for retailers and it was meant axe rated was supposed to be provocative and and different yeah. and kind of weird and the yeah. world tour video was really meant to help answer the question for the retailers like why in the hell would i sponsor this why would i get involved with this right and the answer hey, one other exciting yeah, yeah. One other quick question. Is all that warehouse footage filmed in the Powell uh, skate zone space before anything got built in there? Yes, I think there's, I saw, I looked at the uh, world tour video and there's, there's another warehouse that I didn't recognize. It's not the Powell warehouse and it's not where the skate zone was built. Right. Uh, Ray, Ray Barbie, I think is skating in there and there's like a rail slide or something. I, I didn't yeah. recognize that. In, I didn't right, recognize right, that right, environment. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. What a great, that's a great video, by the way, if people out there have not seen that, punch it into your computer machine. And yeah. Watch it's, it. it's, it's raw and it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We just put out our episode about that video this morning. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Trying to just uncover all the little nuggets that are out there. Yeah. I, that's a great nugget to uncover. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when I uncovered it and I was like, wow, there is basically unseen footage of Gabriel, Ray, Guy, yeah. I mean, so many, yeah, mm -hmm. so many yeah. people in that video. So before we dip into kind of our little scene by scene analysis, I just had some general thoughts. I feel like band this Powell Peralta is still functioning at their superpower level, although 
we've lost Rodney Mullen and, and Mike V uh, in between right. public domain and ban this. So this is the first, you know, Rodney's gone. That's crazy. Cause he's been in every video since the beginning. And also Powell was super awesome. And they put out their early videos for free on YouTube. And Stacy does these really cool introductions. And uh, I want to play his clip for ban this right now. Hi, this is Stacy Peralta again with another Bones Brigade video show introduction. We premiered Bones Brigade video number six, Ban This, in 1989. And this particular video is where we began showcasing more and more of our expanding team. We documented every popular form of emerging skateboarding at that time and everything that was happening in skateboarding at that time. Vertical, mini ramp, all forms of street, all forms of freestyle. Like all the videos we made, it was packed full of stuff, just loads and loads of stuff. And once again, we had a blast making it. All right, so let's pop in the tape. The video starts out with that awesome animated Ripper intro. I always get psyched uh, when I see this, and we've kind of touched base about this on previous videos. Animated by uh, Chris Buczynski and voiced by uh, VCJ, which is, is really cool. So does this, Bobby, when you see this intro, does do you get psyched? I actually defecate in my pants when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes right out. Yeah, it's one of the, it's, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a Smithsonian piece in my opinion. It's one of the greatest. VCJ is one of the greats, you know, what mm -hmm. could I say? should be at the beginning of every skateboard video yeah that's right yeah you know? jim do you have any info on how uh chris uh was hired or brought on to animate this i know you know vcj of course drew the original ripper and then now it's like this quick animated intro i do and i'm i'm, I'm laughing because i i don't want to compromise your production i've been told by chris buczynski recently within the last 10 days that his story is his story. Okay. His work is his work. And it's not up to me to tell his story or to talk about his work. And he, I asked him, you know, we're currently producing a video. I'm currently producing a video about Sean Cliver okay. and uh, skateboard deck collectors and skateboard deck art. And I sent Chris a simple invitation to, we'd like to hook up with him and spend some time talking to him about, you know, his work because he also designed some decks yeah, he did a Nottis deck, I think. He did the Nottis, the original Panther. Mm -hmm. um, and he feels like pretty clearly he feels wronged in all of this. And he mm. feels like he didn't get enough credit. Okay. And it turns out that he drew the animation cells by hand. There's 100 of them in the original. And the original is used in public domain and in Ban This. It's now been refined. So when... In future productions, Ripper bursting through and finding his way into the world uh, has been um, redone, if you will, and with modern computer uh, sensitivity. And mm -hmm. if anything, it looks uh, smoother. So Chris yeah. drew 100 cells, each cell hand-drawn. He had rented space in a church in Santa Barbara and was uh, he had a Fender guitar and his 100 cells and uh, he is waiting for the skateboarding world and everybody else to um, pat him on the back and thank him specifically and so I'll, I'll see what happens if we can actually get him in front of our camera but right. I was surprised by by his reaction and his um, he's had an incredibly successful career as a storyboard artist mm -hmm. and his website which is basically his name I mean he's won 
all sorts of awards and been part of Steven Spielberg productions and, you know, very famous, very successful films. So maybe, maybe the Ripper was the start of something for him that he's not acknowledging. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause the Ripper first appears at the beginning of the search for animal chin. So we talked yeah. about him a little more uh, in depth on that episode, but one little fun fact, his uncle who taught him the draw is uh, Charles Bronson. Yes. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So you know, and if there's ever an in-your-face actor, I think it's yeah. worn off on his nephew. So after the Ripper, we kind of have a, I'll call it a cold open, and uh, it's the 1950s. Three kids are jumping rope. And a Those apple... are my daughters. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. And Apple Crate Scooter Gang comes rolling through, and uh, yep. one boy has his mind blown and chases them through some streets, alleys, and all the way to a drive-in theater. <laughs> So why? So you said those were your daughters. Who are all the all the other kids? Two of them were kids that uh, Robert Kittela rounded up in his neighborhood, and then uh, Ben Commons and his brother Dan Daniel. And then the, um, the the funny detail that happened is we went around to different locations in the neighborhood. We went to the old drive-in theater in Burbank, mm-hmm. um, and we ended up going all the way back to uh, Westchester, which is out by the L.A. airport for this closing scene that became the title page or the cover for the for the video the silhouette my, skaters kind of going yeah so they, they they go in front of the setting sun and the last one to go is our son colin wow who is directing the film that i'm producing about sean cliver etc oh, wow. and uh it's a project that he and i started a few years ago and so that's your son on the on the cover that's yeah silhouette. yeah and so as we were shooting that we couldn't remember if in the sequence Colin had been wearing the hat bill forward or bill backward mm. and and so it was a because the sun was going down we were losing light the decision had to be made and I said he was wearing it with the bill forward and so so he skates into the sunshine we capture the image and it all worked because it because it was it was the luck of the draw so that's amazing yeah that was what a fun a, day it was exhausting. what a great story so who yeah. was there? Who was all there? Shoot, was it you shooting it? Was it Stacy? Like um, shooting that final sequence was Stesic and and Kittle and I. Wow. Because Stacy at that point, you know, oftentimes uh, if skating was involved and the, and if it was Cab or Tony or you know top tier talent, uh, he would battle around in the car. But if it was kids on skate scooters, yeah. we could go shoot that. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I know that's probably not fair to say. <laughs> it's and really I, well done it, it it definitely looks authentic i mean for what yeah there's know, the like, old car in the driveway that you know yeah like a yeah, 50, yeah 57 chevy or something so yeah, yeah it's yeah. all staged very well yeah it was all a effort to be like home movie like yeah mm-hmm. so who who conceives like an idea like that or does it have a meaning or are they is there a message that's being portrayed or is it just a simple like hey this is kind of like the roots of skateboarding is these scooters yeah i think it was it was a conscious effort to go back to the roots uh we had lance had built two or three skate scooters that were very authentic using i mean i still have in my collection of stuff i still have three apple crates oh wow uh, lance had found some um at, at a garage sale i think it was a garage sale he'd found some you know authentic 50s era roller skates so he got into the historical aspect of building, of really building some skate scooters. And then at the factory, we built some high-tech ones with, uh, they looked like uh, apple crates, but they were a little bit bigger, framed out in one by sixes. And uh, we put 
like indies on the two by four with uh, T-bones. And, and those were really popular around the factory. We have photographs of George <laughs> riding his. Yeah. We had three or four of those laying around and people use them all the time. But the ones that were in Bandness were all, if they weren't made by Lance, they were made by other people under Lance's direction. It was, it was a real embrace. You know, we were trying to embrace the origins. Uh, since I'm insane, I remember trying to like decode anything that was like weird in these videos. I always just kind of like, oh, this must be a stesic thing, but I, I really don't know. So I remember reading an interview with him one time that he discovered skateboarding through you know, originally the scooters. So I thought maybe that young boy, maybe this is like an autobiography, like the young boy that chases him, maybe like, oh, maybe that's Craig getting his mind blown and then getting into skateboarding from that. But well, not to pop that bubble, but Daniel uh, is the young boy and his older brother, Ben, is on one of the scooters. And we didn't have enough scooters to have have Daniel have his own scooter so we said okay Dan just just run after just them. run yeah and if anybody bails or you know you can have their scooter so he was really hoping that somebody would bail out and but I don't I think after the camera was off he got to ride a couple of skate scooters mm -hmm. they were they were both just really great boys they're both young men now the first thing I thought when I rewatched it was is this archival footage or was this remade? Uh, yeah, it was, it's incredible. Because the car is the first thing that I thought, wait, wait yeah. a second, is this, did this come out of some archive somewhere? Because I, I always thought that at least Stacy alone would be like, oh yeah, just go pull this from the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, but whatever. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And then I deduced slowly, I was like, I think this is filmed by these guys and whatever. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Really incredible. So then we cut to a 1970s looking living room and uh, the TV explodes. So we've got the continuation of uh, smashing and exploding TVs in, in a Powell video. And I must say the kind of the, uh, the effects are really getting ramped up here. You know, first video, it gets smashed with a hammer. The other video gets chucked out a window. And here it's like, exploding and it's on fire is there like special <laughs> effects teams that you hire yeah well see that's where the lowell cream connection came in so lowell cream had a special effects guy that worked as part of his commercials and this guy was into blowing shit up i mean he <laughs> he and he was serious and and the bigger the explosion the more excited he was so the backstory on this is Stacy's editing bay actually came about for and we worked on public domain in this edit bay, is which this in, was uh, in, Silver Lake. Yes. Yeah, so Richard Neutra was the American, if you will, architect, and you know, famous for glass and and steel and harsh angles and stuff. And this was his working studio. And Neutra, for whatever reasons, and it, it would still baffled me said, oh yeah, you can have the ground floor. I'll just work in my space upstairs and in the back. And it was right off, uh, it was right, I think it was right off Silver Lake Boulevard if, if it wasn't on Silver Lake Boulevard. And so we had, a, it was very cramped, but there was a, an open area, which we used like a studio for, well, X-rated and the girls in X-rated. And so we could light the area and we brought in that television and this, I don't remember the explosive guys, <laughs> but uh, needless to say, the explosion was bigger than we thought it was going to be. And it was certainly more violent than we thought it was going to be. And there was, are, would they be shards or shrapnel? There was shit <laughs> all over the studio 
for like days, we found stuff everywhere. And Neutra came in the next day and the smell of, you know, I, I don't know what that is, those charges, you know, it's like gunpowder, I guess. Uh, so it was a professional doing work in too small of a space for too big of an explosion. But the good news is that nothing caught on fire. <laughs> That's good. It was genuine. I'm thinking that there was a, a propellant involved. So he shot the screen with a pellet gun and that ignited it kind for of the explosion. Oh, is to that make right? Make sure that the glass shattered. Okay, so the explosion wouldn't really shatter the glass. It, it, so you needed to shatter it and then set off the, the yeah. fire and the smoke yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Wow, interesting. All right, so after the television, we are about to have our minds blown by Frankie Hill. And this is where we first get the band this title. And before we kind of dig into the skating a little bit, Matt, you had a cool mm -hmm. theory about why Frankie Hill came first. In this video you told me one time in comparison to the the opening scooter scene well i just thought it was um like that juxtaposition of you have like the calm serene you know kids scootering around california and and then you just you you a b it it's like that was the you know there's the roots of skating and like here's what it is now and it's literally like you have an explosion starting off this part which is an explosive part i mean you know to that point we hadn't really seen anybody. There were some hints of it in public domain of how how gnarly Frankie Hill was, but and he did some big stares and stuff. But he was kind of buried, you know, in the back of the video. And, and by the time you got to Frankie in public domain, you were already through Rubber Boys. You were already through a bunch of stuff. So you know, but Frankie Hill coming out like he did and ban this just boom, boom, like giants, huge hucking himself all down these huge gaps and huge stair sets and stuff. It was like. It was that A and B of like where where it was and where it is, you know. That was my, I guess, my theory on it. Is that what is that what you were yeah, referring yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was yeah. interesting, you know, where it was, and then boom, this is it, current day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you couldn't paint a more stark picture of like how far it's come. I guess, in a sense, if you take public domain and you analyze the street revolution happening at that point. Well, first of all, I wonder where Mike Vallely would have sat in the video if he remained on the team. But I guess after public domain, you're basically saying, wonder what the hell Frankie Hill's going to do. Like, this is essentially the kind of like, uh, you know, it's almost like the finale go at the beginning of the video. I mean, that's a way to that's the way to start the video is just have this dude explode onto the onto the screen, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were filming I, I, Frankie and Mike V. They were filming the other. You can see Mike kind of in the back of some of the. Some yeah, of the oh, right. Clips. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, Mike right. was there for a lot of it. And, you know, floating around YouTube or somewhere. And maybe, Larry, this was on the Street Plant uh, YouTube channel. There's the footage of them doing the sequences of the military uh, kind of drills. <laughs> and that must have been S and got banned. Yeah, I think some of Mike's footage ended up in a few trade show reels or something before, yes. oh, before yeah. he exited the scene. Yeah. But man, Frankie Hill, I mean, gap stairs, handrails, you know, this is like the, yeah. the next chapter. It's, it's on. Yeah. It's here in a big way. Some of the tricks, I really like the use of, you know, taking a little Ollie ramp or launch ramp around to different obstacles. I think that's the first sure. time. I'd ever seen that. And, you know, being kind of a younger kid, you couldn't really just skate around town with a launch ramp. You know, I didn't have a car yet that I could have put it in the trunk or whatever. So I just thought that was really cool. My favorite one is the ollies up onto like the monkey bars and does the board slide on the monkey bars. So That's sick, like, so, yeah. yeah. 
Well, the, uh, the, the, the jump ramp, don't forget the sequence in Animal Chin where they're skating around SF with, mm -hmm. the, with the jump ramp and yep, toe. But yeah, this true. is next level. The, the, this is obviously next level. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess you gotta, you gotta think, um, you gotta think Nottis board sliding the, uh, the top of the, the roll bar on the that's truck. Right. Yep, that's oh, right. Yeah. That's right. Perfect example. We gotta, we, we can't get out of this part though, without discussing the, uh, the Frankie Hill, uh, goes up board slide cut to the point of view of the shoe. <laughs> oh the shoe the, the shoe cam the or whatever yeah then, i love that and then the yank out to to, to, the, to the make yeah yeah so how great. was that done jim do you know how that was done it was pretty genuine it was pretty authentic um it was one of those things where visually it was a challenge it's like can we do this and what will it look like <laughs> and kittala was pretty amazing in terms of his and he's continued to do that in his career from his hang gliding stuff uh, that he's won all these awards with where he you know he he would build these things at we'd shoot during the day and it was like oh man if we had that we could do this and he'd show up the next day so he had because he was an inline skater and, and he was a really good uh inline hockey player and uh, played in leagues in Los Angeles. And, you know, people kind of pushed him as for being on inlines because that was a thing then in the late 80s, early 90s. But it really changed the game in terms of what he could do in terms of camera operation, being able to skate backwards and forwards and, you know, turn and all that stuff. And he had this, he built an armature, which was basically an aluminum tube that had a, a single swivel ball on the end of it. And then on top of that was a tripod mount for a camera. And he could put an eight millimeter or a 16 millimeter film camera on the end of that ball. And essentially was shooting about two and a half or three inches off the ground while skating alongside somebody who was skateboarding. And I'm, I'm trying to visualize what he did on that particular shot. It looks kind of bogus, right? It's kind of wobbling back and it's forth, little, tail to a little tail too much to vibration kind of thing. Yeah, but my memory is I think he had C clamps and pipe clamps. Was it on a rail? Yeah, yeah it was like on a yeah thin rail. Yeah, and it's like a flat rail going down. Yeah. yeah, but the question is, is how do, do do they put Frankie Hill up there and balance him and then shove him off or what? Like what's <laughs> Like I, I think that's what it was. Yeah, I can't imagine him ollieing with the camera between his legs like that. But no, yeah, I guess that gets filed under uh, Powell magic. That's right. Yeah, I, I figured they yeah. just put someone's, you know, shoe on Shoes. there just so, so you can see the toe a little bit. Oh, good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. The other part of that is that Frankie was willing to do anything. I mean, he was. It wasn't that he was fearless. It was just that he was fucking crazy, you know, and he it was just he was so much fun to be around. Yeah. He, his his enthusiasm was infectious. You can tell he was willing to go for it because oh. the first I think both the slam sections in this video are is there two? I can't remember. But I think just one. There's just, just one. Yeah. One. The slam section in this video. Frankie is a lot. all yeah. over it, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> like half. It's like half yeah. Frankie. One of my notes that I took the actually the first note right out of the gates was that Frankie Hill has basically made an art form of putting his hands on the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what? I it was funny because at the, when I was a when I was super young, it didn't like that aesthetically. That didn't bother me. Then as skateboarding progressed, it's like if you landed a trick with your hands on the ground, that was not a make. But now watching him, I almost like it. I almost like that he's that he like puts his hands on the ground. It's it's almost like 
and spins out of stuff with his hands on the ground. It's like, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. He does it stylish. Uh, but, yeah. Some of those impacts are so, you know, you're so compressed down that, you know, your hands yeah. are going to hit the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, I guess, you know, the, the impact and no pun intended, but a Frankie Hill on skateboarding is like really the beginning of like just going big. I mean, he's the guy to kind of like first go really big, you know, mm-hmm. to huck himself. Yeah. I mean, he's the original huck himself down a giant gap. Well, like yeah. I said, at the, at the, at the premiere, I mean, it was like, you know, I think it could have been anybody, you know, really, and people would have been losing their minds, but it was like yeah. seeing that, you know, and nobody was really ready to, I mean, nobody had really seen anybody like just going that hard that, like you said, like hucking themselves like that. Yeah. Like, the big one in public domain was the big grass gap. I mean, that kind of like really defined, you know, and, and I'm sure that that's a decent sized piece of real estate to this day. You know, it's like, um, it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Is it, really? it looks like a mountain. Yeah. Yeah, Dos Pueblos High School. It's where? Dos Pueblos is the name of the high school. Oh, that's it's It's here in Goleta. Oh, interesting. The other thing I wanted to point out, you know, obviously you can dissect that part, but Frankie Hill in that part does a half cab down some stairs and literally lands on the bottom step and rolls away. Yeah, that's crazy. And I was just like, man, (laughs) that's it's almost like a trick unto itself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, call it sheer luck, but half man, cab it's, it's firecracker. A, yeah, yeah, it's so sick. I love the fact that by anyone's standards today, twenty years ago, that would be like landed on the bottom step. Like I, I didn't make it, but it's yeah. just in there. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I, you know, going back to the premiere, I can remember I I got off the stage and through all the beginning and the title and everything else, and I got back to my seat next to Stesic, and bam, Frankie comes out of the gate and. I mean, there was pandemonium in the theater. The kids went fucking nuts. And the enthusiasm that came out in in that moment was, and Stesic turned to me and he said, well, I guess that worked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, there was some question as to where, you know, which sequence to start with. Yeah, it was the equivalent of setting a bomb off, you know? Yeah. It's like, boom, there he is. Yeah, it really was. It really was like a... uh... It was like a sonic boom. I mean, there's it's it's one of those things you'll never be able to replicate. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> quick, uh, quick question: uh, Frankie's first pro model graphic is the bulldog uh, crest thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And did, did that come out after public domain, or did it come out? Was he already pro at this point? No, he, it didn't come out until prop, propaganda was the first place that board showed up. Propaganda. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, after in this, this, correct? Yeah. Yeah. In this in this video, he was skating a Lance Mountain family board and a Mike V elephant. Oh, oh, I saw, I saw the Mike V graphic yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Right, right, right. Super fascinating. Yeah. He and that pro. Frankie Hill shape, if I'm not mistaken, kind of mimicked that Mike, Mike v. v shape. Yeah. Bigger, uh, Mike V with the bigger nose, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. I think even graphically, it's very similar. You know. Mm-hmm. Instead of the right, elephant right. face, here's the bulldog face. Yeah, here's the bulldog. I wonder what the, uh, I wonder, you know, because you hear Mike talk about the time and energy and thought that went into the elephant graphic and then the different incarnations of that elephant being done by VCJ and the whole bug thing and all that other stuff. I wonder, uh, and that, that, that dog graphic, the Frankie Hill, is kind of like a little bit cartoony. Mm-hmm. It's not your classic VCJ uh, drawing, but... Um, a was that that's not cliver's work is it is he is he at powell at that time i guess so because he did the band this dragon yep so that's cliver's drawing and um i wonder it would be interesting to hear frankie talk about 
I'm sh maybe he has, but uh, coming up with the with the dog graphic and uh, you know what 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 dictated that. That's a good thought because and we're that's the question I want to ask Frank about and Cliver too about that uh, transition be and development because the connected to that. I mean, Frankie and, and Mike Vive, so Valerie and Frankie skated a lot together, especially around Santa Barbara. And mm. when Mike left, there was a lot of confusion as about the future of the team and who else was anybody else going to leave and whoever thought that Rodney would leave. And there was a lot of consternation, confusion and concern. And that's that sort of contributed to the delay in Frankie getting his own model because mm -hmm. a lot of decisions were being discussed and then discussed again and again and again. Right. Wow. Interesting. By today's standards, if you put out the type of footage that Frankie Hill put out in public domain, he would turn pro right after that. It's interesting to uh, kind of have him have to wait to not the next video, but the video after that for his yeah. pro model to, to, yeah. to, to happen. Yeah, well, I feel like ban, ban This was really his big yeah. shining you know, introduction. Right. Yeah, because yeah. even in public domain, it was a shared part, you know, and this yeah. one was, this was his own opening yeah. onslaught. Mm -hmm. And then we got to talk about that, the finale of Frankie's part, which is the, the monster handrail that, of course, he didn't make. But well, that was in Long Beach at the, at the trade show building. Yeah, that, I think they're kind of just showing like this is the potential of how big totally. it could go, you know. Oh yeah. And I remember being at the at the premiere and and everyone's like, no what? way, you know. Yeah. And then like that he goes down and then it it stops and everyone's like, Oh, like, uh, we wanna <laughs> see we wanna see any whatever the Yeah, why didn't they show the whole thing? thing? It's probably too gnarly. To yeah, there's two things <laughs> there where you know, Frank on some occasions he didn't want anybody to see his little ramp because that thing was about six inches high. But it was just a little transition to help him get off the ground. And sure. you, in that sequence, you can see it at the top of the stairs, just mm -hmm. barely. It's just barely there. And he made the day before he made that railing, I'm going to say, five times. Wow. He, I don't think he bailed once. Wow. Um, there were some herbs involved, perhaps, when the camera was rolling <laughs> and uh, some medicinal herb herbage. And that was a big discussion point it was like. Because from a production standpoint, it was like, I can remember Stacy, because Kittle was on the camera, and I can remember talking to Stacy about it and whether we should go shoot it. And the idea, and Frankie really wanted it to be part of the finished product. And he was so bummed. I mean, he came so close. It was a matter, I mean, literally a matter of inches. But, you know, kind of going back to the idea, I think at the time, if you had a hand down, then you weren't really making the trick. That was the whole thing with Tony on the 720. Um, you know, did he touch the did he touch the ramp? So there was, you know, and he definitely at the end, he does not make it. He does not come off the hand rail and roll away. So that was a big thing. You know, do you show him not make it? Do you show him and, and do you cut it off with the idea that the potential will always be there to make it? And yeah. so it was one of those editorial decisions. I mean, I think everybody was probably impressed that he was even willing to go for it because you look yeah. at it, you know, and you're like, because the day before, it was, the day before, the comment was, "No way, no fucking way, you're you're not gonna make this." Yeah. and he did it, and was like, "Oh no, we don't have the cameras," you know, and he just did it because he could do it, and it was just like, "Oh no," and and then the weather, I think the weather changed also. It was the next day was kind of gloomy and and marine layer foggy. And whereas the day before was 
it was the first day of the trade show because they were three-day events and it was the first day and it was bright and sunny and well lit so we didn't Man. have the camera at the right time yeah so so he did that with all the trade show stuff happening in the uh in the convention center right there oh oh yeah wow that's yeah, because crazy. there wasn't much for the skaters to do if they came to the show. And we gave everybody, you know, passes. And, you know, they would walk around and they would, you know, look admiringly at the uh, Reef girls, you know, and, and other girls. <laughs> and there were lots of girls. Yeah, so there was, you know, that was a favorite thing to do at the trade show. But there wasn't a lot. And then, you know, somebody somebody had the report that there was this stairway. And it was it was around behind the building, sort of in the middle of the complex in this outdoor there was actually two buildings there was the basketball arena and then there was the uh, convention center itself which was attached by a hallway and then the stairwell was out in the middle of of that complex i think uh andy anderson may have done actually done this handrail in the last couple years um i'm not sure if i have my facts totally correct on that but i think he may have done that in the last couple of years. I'm pretty certain uh, Andy Anderson board slid up it. If I'm, <laughs> I'm, then I'm just kidding. spun around just kidding. and came back yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. Dark, dark slide. Yeah. 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 I just want to add, as we leave Frankie, the okay. idea of all of those shots, it's like a, uh, a what, a, a, a tourist, if you will, a skateboarder's guide to skateboarding in Santa Barbara. All of those spots are still there. All of those spots that oh, Frankie skates are still available. University, oh, cool. high schools, uh, elementary campuses. It's just funny. So after Frankie Hill, we are kind of introduced some, to some reoccurring characters in the video. The first is a group of maybe looks like some businessmen, and they are credited as just being they, and they have some the Greek quick, chorus. Yeah, and in this part, and actually they're credited in the in the final credits as the voices in your head. <laughs> 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 and, at, and at this this time they ask us uh but can you do a handstand and you know as me always trying to decode this stuff are they talking about like handstands from the 70s or are they talking about street plants i didn't i wasn't sure if oh no it was handstands from the 70s yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah this is all fine and dandy and you can blow the roof off everything but can you do a handstand <laughs> yeah is this so who comes up who gets the concept of like, we need this group of guys saying this crazy stuff to just put in the video randomly? I think that was pretty much Craig and Stacy and sort of, you know, it's like, how do you create a bumper from, you know, one action to the next action? How do you mitigate that? And the, you know, the, I mean, watching this, I watched this today and, you know, it's the Greek chorus to me still kind of works. The professor wears on me, um, mm -hmm. but the Greek chorus because we limited, you know, so we interviewed and we we auditioned all of these guys and we wardrobed all of those guys and you know we positioned them in the Neutra studio and we do all this work. It's like, is this really worth it? I don't know. <laughs> and this is <laughs> you in, know, uh... dude, dude, you know, but I think you know, thirty years go by and there's a level of sophistication that you know, it, you know, maybe somebody appreciates it. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. yeah. but there was effort made to create a you know a thoughtful interruption and then hopefully we come back and we come back with enough energy to keep going after they were introduced to the science teacher you may ask yourself what role does skateboarding play in the evolution of modern transportation is it a a public nuisance b a fuel efficient alternative to the automobile c a totally frivolous activity d a modern sport capable of being practiced without 
a team, no organization. You decide. And uh, yeah. in the credits, it shows his name is Joe Faust. And I actually looked him up. I couldn't find uh, anything about him on IMDb. I didn't know if he was an actor or someone's dad or anything like that. No, I think he was he was an actor. And, you know, we called Central Casting or Stacy has an agent and still has the same agent. And this is one of those parallel tracks where, where Stacy was also doing he was directing some commercials. And so he had access to another agent who could do you know, it's like, who, who, who do you need? Who do you need? Oh, I need this professor guy. I need the guy that looks like a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And, and then if we couldn't find that person, then Craig would do it or Dennis would do it or I would do it. That's yeah. how I ended up being the Roman soldier. And Craig ended up being the Easter bunny. Oh, Craig was in the Easter bunny. I was going to ask who that was. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, this um, character has a name though. Yeah. It's professor didactic. Yeah. It professor does? Didactic. Yeah. I, th I looked in the credits. I thought it just said science. No, it's TV. on the corner, upper left-hand corner of the chalkboard. Of the chalkboard, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I tried Professor, to read some of that. Yeah. I was, the video was a little fuzzy and I could see some so, yeah. you know, Pro trick Professor Didactic. And... Yeah, and it's yeah, that wow. was spelled that was wrong. It's, doing. Yeah, it's spelled didactic wow. in the uh, thing. But uh, yeah, didactic is, uh, I'll, I'll read you the, the definition. In the manner of a teacher, particularly so as to treat someone in a patronizing way. Yes. Wow. So it's it's nice. it's not a positive term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a yeah, it's not a nice term. Yeah. You don't want to be overly didactic. Yeah, yeah. So professor yeah. didactic. Kind of like what he's saying, he kind of reminds me of the doctor uh in, in public domain that has that rant um with the rubber boys and Jim Thebo, like that kind of thing, talking about public spaces and being a nuisance in public and stuff like that. It kind of kind of reminded me of that public domain part. And then he kind of, you know, as he goes along, he kind of gives you, uh, you know, presents you with a question and then gives you some multiple choice. You decide. Yeah. You decide. Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. My, my memory is hazy. This was a long time ago. But the, at the premiere, there were cardboard life-size cutouts of the professor peppered around that reception area upstairs. I, I believe that I'm remembering that correctly. I was hoping you could wow. confirm. Really? Yeah. The I'm professor sure. the, with the lab coat and everything? Yeah, yep. Yep. Maybe that's where Paul Schmidt got the idea. That's funny. <laughs> um, I, um, I remember them being things there. That but... it, it could have happened. It could have happened. And, and I maybe didn't know anything about it because yeah. we had, I remember we had all sorts of sound trouble in that venue mm. and we had all sorts of problems with the cordless microphones mm. and there weren't enough. Um, the mix board didn't have enough input or there was something, there was a lot of feedback. And plus Craig and I were screwing around with that digital camera and we couldn't get the camera to feed directly from itself onto the screen. And there was, you know, it was so one you had cable. Bigger, you had bigger fish to fry than yeah. what the stand up. But it's possible. It's, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're just dreaming that. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I okay. think I got a photo with one. Oh, I that would be dig good. It out. But I, I couldn't remember. For some reason, I remember there being them being like in all the kind of corners of the room. There was something in the middle of the room, too. It was like some kind of a tower of TVs or something like that. That was I can't remember. I, I wish I could huh. go back. Anyway, whatever. You guys did a good job sprucing the place up. I was there for a <laughs> wedding about or no, I was there for a company uh, party about a month ago. Oh, in that same same room. I'm like, oh, this is where it happened. You know? That's cool. So so if uh so if your theory about Paul Schmidt is correct, then does that that begs the question, did Rick Howard get the idea for the mouse suit from the bunny outfit? Ooh, oh no. <laughs> See? there is a connection. Yep. <laughs> Kevin Harris. 
yes, Kevin Harris, very heavily stylized uh, kind of filming and editing here. You get the little, you know, quick frames of just random concrete walls and, and architecture and, and automobiles and stuff like that. It's very cool. And I guess that's the LA river he's in probably. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, also he's outside the Rose bowl. I noticed that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic places. Yeah. You know, Kevin, Kevin's a real hero. He, he was a life-saving hero. Kevin is a great guy to go on tour with. And so he was, as a, as a teenager, he was driving home from an event. I think it was a party and there may have been alcohol involved, but he was a passenger in a car and they hit black ice and went off the road and landed in a ice covered lake, went through the ice and the car sank. And he burst out of the car and swam up to the surface and realized that nobody had joined him. And he dove back into the water and rescued the three other people that were in the car and pulled them up and saved all their lives. And I can remember I was driving the van and I pulled the van. I mean, it gives me chills now, even just recounting it. And I, I pulled the van over to the side and I said, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you saved these people's lives? And he goes, yeah, I did. And it was just, he was so humble about it. It was just like, it was just what you do. You know, it's just like, there was no, no question about it. It was just, and then of course, he's also a, uh, he can bowl 300. Wow. Is that right? <laughs> Pretty much That's on impressive. demand. I, I love him even oh, more now. It's just amazing. Wow. He would do, you know, we called them spinners. And when, when I, you know, in 1963, we called them spinners. So he would, he would spin in rotation on the flat of the mini ramp. And he said that at, there were certain times when he got past a thousand revolutions and blood would come out from underneath his fingernails and, and spray around because of the centripetal force. Holy cow. I mean, he's an, he was an amazing skateboarder. Yeah. And, you know, a very humble guy. I mean, it was just, he was really a terrific, he is a terrific person. And this part, I mean, is more or less the last you, you kind of see of Kevin Harris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Period. I mean, he's not yeah. in any more Paul videos. I don't know if he. Yeah. yeah I was trying to think if he appears in, in uh, propaganda, but I couldn't remember. I don't think so. No, I don't think, I don't so. think so. I, I, I think this is the last you see of any freestyler anywhere. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I was going to point out uh, just about that part again, going back to the music is that song when as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, my God, it's uh, it reminds me of like uh, there was this group called Pop Will Eat Itself that had Mm -hmm. super sample heavy stuff and also big audio dynamite kind of like peppered in all those samples and stuff. But man, that song is incredible. It is. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of edited to the beat of the song, too. And everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So Plus, you good. can hear like the, all the the great audio, man, that that used to kind of pop into those, you know, the the clack of the wheels that was kind of totally. added in the Frankie Hill parts, and you could just hear that that those Powell freestyle wheels, just like the, yeah, you yeah. know, like yeah. kind of like as he's doing all those kind of power slide yeah. tricks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Stacy would go to great lengths in all every sequence to always cut on a beat. So oh, if good. if a you know coming up and. I don't know, doing a body jar, you know, or hitting a curb or whatever it was on that impact. There was, it it was always on the beat of the music. So he would, he would go backwards and forwards until he had the music and then found where that beat was and then go backwards to get to the beginning of the sequence. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's exhausting and it's a really subtle thing, but if you watch other videos you sometimes see that there's no connection between there's no physical connection between the music and what's taking place on the skateboard. That should be, if you're going to make a video, that's a practice that's still 
followed very closely by a lot of filmmakers, a lot of skateboard video filmmakers to this day. But I think in editing, that is the most important thing to do. And it's it's, it's interesting that that Stacy, yeah. yeah, you know, I don't know, I can't say Stacy's the originator of that, but but man, that what an incredible little factoid right there that, that yeah. Stacy took great detail on that. That's very important. Yeah, in, in the in great the experience of watching a skateboard video you don't realize how important that is but like you just said if it's not there and then you compare it to having it there it's yeah. night and day i always wondered how they did that back then like in the analog day but you know now on the computer it's easy because you can just see the sound wave yeah. and you just yeah, put the yeah. trick right you know you just line it up and it's easy but back then it right. was just like how right, the heck right, do you right. do this speaks to his uh directorial prowess so speaking of Stacy, right after Kevin's part, we've got a shot of Stacy in his edit bay, and and he explains how he's asked all the t- all the time how he gets these skaters to perform, and uh, he explains it's extremely difficult. And then they cut to a scene of him at the Mountain Manor, uh, giving him some directing and ringing a bell. Pretty good. Uh, comic relief here very funny but it's great to see the mountain manor again we saw it in the early videos and now uh we didn't see it in the in the last two so and this is basically the setup uh chet thomas and bucky lysick uh skating vert at, at lance's house wait the mountain manor was not in public domain at all not at all yeah i almost feel like that wow. might have been a conscious decision because it was so heavily in the first oh. two maybe that you know right. maybe it was played out and then in animal chin obviously it's just like you know a travel yeah. movie kind of it's thing. almost like that alpha video that came out uh there's no pools in this one or whatever the title it was you know yeah. it's almost like yeah. can't can't have another pool you know <laughs> yeah <But> yeah <laughs> super fascinating how many steve size boards did this part sell <laughs> <laughs> i know i bought one because of it yeah i'm like dude yeah you see bucky ride it before you see steve ride it yeah you do yeah but um a couple quick thing you just only see like five or six tricks from uh chet i don't know if he was uh super into vert or they just decided to throw him in there for some some extra juice or um but he did a rad ollie stale fish grab that i thought was really good and then bucky had that stale grab uh, mctwist that i thought was super awesome that you're kind of seeing you know the mctwist now has progressions to it it's not just a 540 totally. aerial anymore it's totally. it's progressing as well and does bucky do this is bucky the first to do i mean this is like an nbd archive uh question but uh, is is bucky the first to do the stale mctwist on vert or did tony do one in uh in public domain oh i don't know i think i don't this might be the maybe if tony's done one in this video maybe and then but it may have been before bucky i'm not sure well tony definitely does one in this in in ban this but uh one of the in terms of the notes i jotted down i was just like wow chet thomas on vert which Mm -hmm. is pretty damn dynamic speaking of which ray barbie can skate vert too it's almost like tommy on vert like you know like tommy does rad stuff on vert it's a little bit of a limited bag of tricks but i was just like wow look at that chet thomas skating vert Mm -hmm. the song is incredible bucky lasik the list of tricks you just mentioned i liked his medali revert yes which is pretty rad and then i noted the stale the the stale mctwist but here's here's the elephant in the room one of the tr- one of the tricks in the video is just a fakie tail stall, which is pretty funny oh, yeah. that, that snuck in there. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, oh my god. The other thing I noticed is that the uh, the channel is filled in at Lance's. Oh yeah, no channel, oh, no channel yeah. anymore. Yeah, no channel. Yep, you're right. Oh, I never noticed that before. You're right. 
So that would be an interesting kind of like, uh, you know, I guess you ask Lance at what point, who makes the decision to fill in the channel and yeah. why? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why it was uh, included. Lance wanted to resurface. So the, the, oh. the ramp got resurfaced and the channel got filled in. So that was, yeah. those were improvements that were, if you will, put onto the budget for the video. Right, right. That is cool. Because the other two vert ramps that are basically in the whole in the whole film is Fallbrook and Tony's Tony's ramp. Yeah, mm -hmm. those yeah. are those are really the, the 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 other the only other two except for all the tour footage and but you know whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but, yeah. It would be interesting to compare the dimensions of the Mountain Manor ramp to Fallbrook. Fallbrook seems like a vastly larger ramp. Mm -hmm. Larger ramp, wider. Wider, yeah. yeah, for certain, wider. Yeah, the Mountain Manor was. I mean, it was crammed in there. Yeah, when I went there, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. could not, I could not believe how small the backyard was, and I was just yeah. like, it blew me away. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, Jim, is there any story? Was was Stacy maybe really asked these kind of questions? Like his beginning, you know, people ask me all the time. Is there any story there, or is it just a funny gag that they they came up with? As far as standing, uh, sitting on the ramp and ordering people to do tricks, <laughs> or what he says in the in the edit bay, you know, like you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how do how do I get these skaters to perform? I was just wondering if there was any kind yeah, of story I mean, there. especially you know, I mean, he, you know, at that point he was working in Hollywood, you know, he because he was doing commercials, he had different projects and all these different things going on, and he would cross paths with people that had seen his work. And it's like, oh, it's always, you know, I've always wanted to ask you, how do you get them to do that stuff? You know, okay. are the cables involved or, you know, how do they do that? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but he, you know, Stacy's brother is an actor too. And uh, there's theatrics in, uh, in, in the family background. So moving on next, we have uh, Ray Barbie uh, solo part. And, you know, of course we know in public domain, he shares a part with the Rubber Boys, but this part is amazing. Goes really well with the song. It's kind of the slow-mo, really vibed out part. Oh, man. I, we Again, this is another part that at the premiere, everybody freaked out because Ray was everyone's favorite skater at that point in time. I mean, everybody loved Raymond. Everybody loved Raymond. No, for <laughs> real. I mean, he, he was, you know, everybody was coming off of a year bender of watching his part on public domain over and over again. And um, so for... Uh, when the part starts, it kind of does that clock, you know, of all the old kind yes. of boards. Yeah. And the last one is his. It's Barbie's deck. And then everyone's like, whoa, you know, it was so cool because like that board was so great. That graphic was so good. That part was, again, like just beautifully scored that all the spots were so good. The tricks were so good. Like that nose pick shove it that he does on that wall or whatever is like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. everybody, I love, I love that part. I love that part and his personality, you know, you get a little of his personality at the beginning, the mm -hmm. joking around and the, when how you long you've skating. been skating. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, I love this part. Love it. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that when they shoot that sequence, Hey Ray, how long have you been skating for Ray Barbie is wearing a bangles shirt, the band, the bangles. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty dope. And I was just like, oh, shit, a bangle shirt. I've actually never noticed that before. Yeah, I don't think I did yeah. either. Yeah, it's so he's, cool. he's wearing a size shirt for the rest of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's also got on that incredible RB control hat, the yellow hat. Yep. RB construction. I mean, that outfit, yeah, yeah. that outfit is just iconic. The, the RB yellow RB control hat. Yeah. The jeans and the Vision Streetwears, man. That's like the classic Ray Barbie outfit. With hey, cuffs. 
rolled the up cuffs, cuffs man the cuffs yeah there you go jim at the last episode that larry and i did was just me and him but we were talking about ray barbie wearing visions and we were we were wondering if that was a source of consternation ever uh at the powell facility no I mean, no. I can remember I got shit for wearing a uh, a slap shirt at the Vancouver contest, and there was a picture in Thrasher with me wearing, and somebody in the sales department, I think, wondered why I was wearing a slap shirt, and I said because they gave it to me. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, I I think you know, I mean, there was always an effort to make sure that people were wearing Powell stuff, but if they weren't, I don't ever remember Stacy saying to somebody. Hey man, take that shirt off and put one of ours on. I don't remember that ever happening, and I never said it to anybody. I think it was just, you know, just one of those things, and and it kind of explains, especially then, who Ray was, because I think that sequence to me, if you put that sequence with Frankie's sequence, then you have modern skateboarding, and the whole rest of the video, none of it matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like. Because that sequence, to me, I mean, as you said, the music, everything about it, you know, it's downtown L.A. Most of those spots are all still there. Mm -hmm. It's like a travel log of downtown L.A. And I can remember Kittala and Stacy were running camera. And I can remember Stacy saying, Ray said, what do you want me to do? And there's a scene where he's, he's skating down the street on a sidewalk. And there's probably 50 people on the sidewalk. And he has mm -hmm. to skate around them and through them, beneath them, you know. And Stacy said, just, just skate down the sidewalk. And Ray said, okay. And he skated down. So he skated away from the camera with the camera rolling, which I don't think is in there. But then he mm -hmm. turned around and, and skated back. And, and that's just Ray skate, skating down a sidewalk, which is something that we all have experienced at some point. And, you know, how do you do it? Do you complain? Do you just do it with style and grace? And there's Ray Barbie dancing down the sidewalk with 50 people. And, you know, it's yeah. inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. There's one line that he does with no cuts where he's skating along that uh, Herbert Hoover High School. And yeah. he's just mm -hmm. doing flat land. And then he lip yeah. slides oh, the, the curb, board slides the bench, and then like ollies up the three stair and twirls yeah. off and everything. Mm -hmm. It's just like so, so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, the song, the song is incredible. It, yeah. It's just like. Whoever, whoever uh, choreographed that is a genius. Yeah, because I, I think, you know, I, there's, it, it goes back to, you know, skateboarders saying, oh man, there's nothing to skate or I don't have anything to do. Or, and I think that sequence shows you, one, if you have a skateboard and two, if you have a pair of shoes and three, maybe some rolled up jeans. I mean, it's like you can skateboard anywhere and it can be a flat sidewalk. It can, you know, whatever, it's, it's a parking lot. And then, you know, surprisingly to me, you know, there's a lot of handrail action in there and stairs too. In, in yeah, Ray's there park. is, yeah. And that really surprised me. I forgot about that. And yeah. he approaches the, <laughs> the handrails and the stairs with the same style as he mm -hmm. does the flat ground. It's yeah, just sure. so fun. Yeah. And he's, 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 yeah. a, he's a master, he's, he's a finesseful, master technician of, of, of skateboarding yeah. uh and when he, i was watching it I, I i was thinking to myself man especially the ollie up to manual where he front 180s i i, I thought the next the next uh person to kind of take ray's finesse was jason lee and a lot of the la spots you know mm -hmm. jason mm -hmm. lee has that type of finesse as well yeah 
and yeah, those two together, man, it's like they kind of wrote the book, you know? Well, if you think about like the, the Fr- Frankie's part, you know, super fast song, you know, you got that trees jam going in there. Right. You got like, right. he's just flailing around and, you know, putting, you know, like he's just like this explosion of, you know, just huge gaps and stairs and just, and then you got the Ray Barbie part, which is just as mind blowing, but it's yeah. again, fluid, yeah. chill. You know, the song is chilled. The dude mm-hmm. doesn't, he doesn't make a mistake. He does, you know what I mean? It's just like this perfect, beautiful flowing thing. And it's like, you have that chaos of the Frankie part and the sort of sure. chill, you know, of the, of the sure. Ray part. It was a great, it was a great kind of uh, I don't know. It's like a, like a leveler, you know what I mean? It's not all just amped up. It's like, it can be, it can be something that's a little less gnarly from a. I wanted to point something out about Ray's part. Uh, first, he might be the first person to kickflip out of a manual. Uh, he does a step hop, shove it on flat ground, yeah, that's lands right, in a manual and kickflips out of it, which is probably, I mean, you know, the impact of that alone is insane. But uh, also tons of graffiti in his, in his part. Mm. Uh, and this, you know, when you went, you know, we had the uh, LA Boys documentary come out and they talk about graffiti and them writing graffiti. But Ray's part really showcases LA street graffiti. And one thing that, I, that jumped out at me is that at the 10 minute mark, in the video, Ray's skating down the street there. I don't know what street it is, but there is actually a, there was a, there was a notorious uh, graffiti writer in Los Angeles who wrote his, his moniker was Street Phantom. And he was really made, uh, made famous by the Rage Against the Machine record, uh, The Battle for L.A. Mm-hmm. And in Ray's part, you actually see an authentic Street Phantom thing. And it says, uh, Führers fall fast. And it's oh, like wow. the silhouette. Yeah. And uh, that's the dude... Uh, his name was uh, Joey Krebs or one of his aliases. And uh, yeah, so in that part, there's an actual like authentic uh, street phantom character in Ray's part. It's pretty That's cool. Amazing. That was really cool. All right. So after Ray, we've got an army drill instructor giving instructions to Eric Sanderson, Frankie Hill, and Steve Size. I know there's more of the drill instructor in some uh, trade show loops. So where did this concept come from or who, who's this guy? Who's this actor? Well, that's where, that's where retail runs into, you know, the art and display of skateboarding. So Camp Motherhood was the theme for the trade show booth. And we had there in that sequence that you're referencing, there's an armored personnel carrier. And we had that on the floor of ASR at the trade oh, show. Wow. Okay. So that was a whole thing in, of itself because who do you, we had who to do have you the call fire department. To call, hey, I need a, an, an armored car. Where, where do, you, yeah. who do you, you call Hertz? Yeah, so that, that the armored personnel carrier was, and everybody thought it was a tank and it wasn't a tank, but it looked like a tank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, so, and then that led to Stesic and I traveling all over Southern California to get cargo nets, uh, camouflage nets, which were just beginning to get difficult to find because of marijuana growers up in Northern California. And so we found enough to be able to establish Camp Motherhood. And then that became, you know, it was just a theme. And I can reach in my pocket and pull out my Camp Motherhood. Oh, the dog tags. Dog tags. Nice. There you go. Look at that. um, So, you know, so these themes, so it was funny, right? And Mike Vellily leaves team because of it because somebody saw one of the sequences and somebody said that's the stupidest thing i've ever you know so going back to your concept between ray and frankie and keeping the balance you know there were so many things to balance and so i watched full metal jacket 
and the, the opening sequence when that kid gets to boot camp and I forget the actor's name, but that, that was one of the great writer his? achievements in all of Hollywood cinematic history. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an incredible sequence and the language that is used is phenomenal. So I, you know, I tried to approximate that and, and it was all done tongue in cheek and it was all supposed to be funny and, and anti, you know, antithetical to everything that we were doing. I mean, the whole camp motherhood, I don't know, theme was grossly misunderstood by some and uh, misrepresented by others. And it wasn't, you know, militaristic and it was all about motherhood. <laughs> Everybody has a mother. Yeah. <laughs> So, is that where the handbook was from too? Was that based around the motherhood concept? I can't remember how that was. Well, kind of it branded. ended up, yeah, the, the name ended up being used in the handbook. And the handbook was a concept that I, it, so I lived in these two worlds. I lived in the Stacy world, which was all about film and creativity and working with Stesic. And I spent three to seven days a week in that world. And then I spent three to seven days a week somehow overlapping in Santa Barbara. So I was either in LA or in Santa Barbara. And when I was in Santa Barbara, we had moved into the new headquarters building, which was, you know, seven acres of building. It was the old lemon factory, which, you know, there's a big pun there. And, and <laughs> the, the, there were a lot of, you know, corporate things and a lot of efforts. And this is when I became, I went from being the writing unit to being promotions manager. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, uh, we would have staff meetings and we would and we had department heads and managers and we sat at this big long table and there were 12 managers, you know, sitting in this meeting with George at the head of the table and it was like, fuck is going, this is a skateboard company, <laughs> you know, and it was like we were playing corporate America, playing a corporate business game. And then I would step out of that and Stacy would say, what's going on, you know, in Santa Barbara, what's George doing? And I would, you know, tell him. And then, so I was, I was this link between the two worlds. And so the, the employee, the skater's handbook was a concept uh, that I was asked to do by Santa Barbara. And it was like, you know, an employee manual. And then everybody was, you know, was supposed to sign and agree to all of these terms and conditions. So you wrote, and, you wrote the Palmet, you wrote the manual. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was, in my mind, it was never going to happen. It was just like an exercise. And I was getting paid as the promotions manager and as the writing unit. And that's what I did when I was in Santa Barbara sitting in my quote unquote office. And, uh, and then I would leave and end up in Hollywood and I'd be, you know, in Tony Hawk's backyard or whatever with Kittala and Stesic and Stacy. So I knew that the handbook would never become a reality. And then of course, and it's so funny too, you know, I've, I've, people have sent me uh, photographs of it and, you know, people have copies of it out in the world and I don't know how they got them. I remember, I, I remember Lance looking at it and, you know, he kind of, he thumbed it kind of like if you were going to deal a deck of cards, he kind of thumbed the edge and he goes, wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot of paper. You know, I, yeah, I mean, it was just, so motherhood was, uh, it worked as a theme uh, in terms of ASR. It worked in terms of um, a couple of video clips. And then it didn't work because it was it was misconstrued. You know, it, it wasn't serious. It wasn't militaristic. Of course, it went back, you know, why is the Bones Brigade called the Bones Brigade? And if it's Camp Motherhood and it's the Bones Brigade, then how can you say it's not militaristic, et cetera, et cetera? So mm -hmm. there was a lot of splaining to do. That's what Ricky used to say to Lucy.
<laughs> so as far as the 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 shot of Sanderson and Steve size and all that was that filmed for that was filmed was there just basically stuff that was filmed specifically for this this trade show that was kind of a part of it or was that filmed yeah and the, that... and the other ones I mean there was a lot more with just Frankie and Mike, and Mike. yeah I remember mm-hmm. seeing and, that and that was kind of exhaustive and some of it, you know, they've got their decks and they're shooting like machine guns. And, oh, yeah. Um, I've seen that you know, I mean, it was just a parody. And then with Mike gone, I was surprised to uh, see that sequence when I watched it this morning. Um, I didn't I didn't remember that sequence being in uh, Ban This. I, I thought it had just been abandoned. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of effort went into it. So I guess that's why Stacy kept it there. Maybe it was a way to remind Mike that, hey, we can do this even without you. I, I don't you know. But Eric Sanderson was a clown. You know, he 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 would do just about anything. And Steve was willing. It was funny. It was yeah. I, I, guarantee, yeah. I guarantee it was funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We've seen so much wild, <laughs> funny stuff in Powell videos this far that you know this is not yeah, yeah. outrageous. Yeah. I think Mike V. You know, when you listen to Mike V. talk, that was kind of like that. Doing that was almost like the breaking point for him. The, uh, yeah. the sequence of the, you know, whatever, yeah. which is kind of funny. But I, I also wanted to, to just remind everybody that, that Powell has traditionally had a militaristic theme going back into the, the general issue with the bombs on it and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was mm-hmm. always that, you know, the Bones Brigade. I mean, the term brigade is a militaristic term. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So, yeah. you know, Court, Court Johnson's father was, uh, he was a military guy. He, you know, he was in World War II. Frank Hawk's dad was, Frank Hawk was in World War II. You know, my dad was in World War II. I mean, it was part of our culture. And, you know, my dad was captured twice and and escaped both times from Japanese war camps. So it it was, you know, I think it's a reference point that uh, is is missed by the generation that's younger than I am and certainly missed by the, you know, two generations removed from who we are. I love that. I part. never had I, any I've, problem with it. Yeah, I never had a problem yeah. with it either. I thought it was great. Yeah. It's like, give me any reason to try to ollie in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> and not look like a dork. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that part kind of introduces a mini ramp part with Steve Size, Eric Sanderson, and Mark Saito. Is that how you pronounce his name, Jim? Yeah, Mark Saito. Okay. And that's yeah, and there was Mark Eric was, Sanderson's Mark house. A, yeah. yeah. I mean, Eric such a his feet were so fast and he would do things so late it was just it was amazing what he could do and you know i think you know mini ramps were they're they're all over the place in this video because stacy really liked them mm-hmm. and he really felt like okay so if you don't want to skate bird anymore what about a mini ramp in your backyard what about a mini ramp you know here and there yeah. and so they're all over the place because in a certain sense they were getting pushed and Stacy was a good mini ramp skater too. And he mm-hmm. had one in his backyard. And that's where that Videola project has a lot of footage. But yeah, so Eric, um, Steve Size, Steve's brother Marco, there was a lot of skating on that ramp. And and Eric, Tony called Eric uh, Eric Questionson. So when we were on tour, <laughs> Eric was he was he was just amazed to be, I think we were in Alabama at the time, or maybe Mississippi, just one question after the other, you know, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? So he became Eric Questionson. So can I ask a question real quick? Um, <laughs> Matt Jim, Questionson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's my question. 
So experimental boards yeah. with the experimental graphic. We were having a discussion a couple episodes ago about where those fit in to a Powell Rider. Now, were they given to somebody who was on the cusp of turning pro and they were working on sorting out their own graphic or were they given to anybody to test out to get feedback on? The reason I ask is because in public domain, Eric Sanderson is writing an experimental deck and in Ban This, he's writing a McGill. And so I was always wondering, like, he clearly never, you know, made it to getting a, his own model with Powell. So I was just wondering if you could shed some light on the experimental boards and also how that maybe played into Eric Sanderson, uh, his, his career with Powell. Okay, so Chris Iverson has been the R&D guy with Dex and most of their hard goods for more than for about 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with George Powell recently where he said, yeah, it's gotten to the point where I'm learning quite a bit from Chris. 40 years ago, Chris was, he was a pretty good woodworker and, you know, a, a capable carpenter and, and, and he, you know, he was mechanical, but everything was coming from George. Every, all of the deck boxes, the coffin boxes, everything that was happening in manufacturing was pretty much coming from George's designs or George's influence. And I can remember, I, I think I'd been working there at Powell for probably less than a year. And I was intrigued by the experimental sticker. And I, and I ended up with a deck that Chris gave me, which was not experimental. It was just a blank deck, no graphic, no top graphic. And I said, hey, can I get an experimental sticker from you for this? And he said, why? And I said, because <laughs> it's cool. And he goes, but it's not experimental. And I said, Wait, it's just a fucking sticker. Give me a sticker. No, I won't get it. So it was, it was really funny because Chris is a really great guy. And I really admire his growth and his, his learning. I mean, he's just a brilliant guy. But I suddenly realized this was a thing. It was perhaps one thing that he had control over because mm -hmm. nobody else had the experimental stickers. Mm -hmm. And so it took me about six months to finally get. And I have, I have a longboard now that I still have that I took to Europe in 89 that has an experimental sticker on it because it was deemed experimental by Chris. And that longboard was never manufactured. It was uh, a spoon nose. It's about, it's about 42 inches long. And, you know, it's this big, heavy thing. But he put, he, Chris, put the experimental sticker on it because it was experimental. So yeah. um, there were boards and there were riders and he gave them, he gave those stickers to them to ride boards that didn't have a graphic. And of course, what happened was, especially on tour, kids would see the experimental deck and they were like, oh, that's the deck I want. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it was a McGill or it was a Steve Size Mm -hmm. And they were putting the experimental on it just to sort of camouflage it. Or it might have been a new shape that was being developed and maybe it was experimental and that's why the sticker was on there. But ultimately, the goal was to sell decks and to mm -hmm. sell model decks, not generic decks. And that's why, to me, it's become so funny that the bug deck, which was the reject for Valerie's deck, the bug deck has become highly collectible. Yeah. And yeah. I, at, at a certain point... I, we gave bug decks as a as a prize to the raffles uh, that we had at each demo, and we would give it out as a prize. 
Mm-hmm. And those decks are valuable, which is just laughable, <laughs> but yeah. it's what cool. they are. You know, they're, it's a VCJ design. It's one of the last designs he did before he left the company. And yeah. it was part of the frustration that he, you know, had at the end of his time at the company, but now he's back. So I love that. So, I love that, that graphic. Yeah. So when, when Sanderson's writing an experimental board, then that doesn't necessarily mean he's about to get his own shape. It just means he's kind of testing out a board shape to give some feedback. Yeah. And, okay. And then there was always the, you know, there wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a Bones Brigade manual. In other words, there was no step-by-step procedural thing through. So incrementally, if you do this and then you do that, and then you do this, you're going to have a board. You're going to have a model. Mm-hmm. It was never laid out that way. Interesting. And Frank, I think Frankie's a good example. Uh, Valerie's a good example. We want you on the team. He wanted a board. He wanted a model. Here's the graphic. What? I don't want that graphic. That graphic sucks. All of this, you know, back and forth. Finally get the graphic. Okay. Bam, you're on the team. Bam, you're off the team. You know, so um, the, the, the days of Tony and Stevie and Mike and Rodney and Kevin being on the team and having a model and then changing the graphic, you know, that, I mean, McGill's graphic didn't change for a long time. Tony's oh, yeah. graphic didn't change for a long time. Why? Because they still sold mm-hmm, and yeah. people still wanted those graphics. And then they, you know, then the market clearly was like, okay, we need something fresh. Okay. Yeah. So back to that mini rampart, I noticed, I'm pretty sure it's Rudy Johnson in there. He's kind of uncredited. Yeah. yeah. He's got like yeah. a little cameo. So before we even get to the LA boys part, yeah, he's, He's in here, yeah, which was really cool. He, he does a kickflip to axle oh, stall and yeah, uh, yeah. chink chinks he does. Oh, wow. Did not notice that. But yeah, I noticed there's some mini ramp in, in public domain. But like you were saying, Jim, it's all over this video. It's almost being pushed as like a new skateboarding discipline. Like you had to yeah. be a mini ramp mm-hmm. guy, you know. And if and, and the mini ramp can have a spine. Yeah. 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 So you oh. actually have two two little ramps. And a kid from the suburbs could conceivably build one, you know, yeah. in his backyard, whereas yeah. a vert ramp is probably not in most people's budgets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The build, spine also opens up a whole new lexicon of tricks. I mean, it's insane, all the combo yeah. tricks. But, you yeah. know, of course, then you go back to Animal Chin, and that's like ultimate spine, you know. Mm-hmm. This part's great. I love that we got to talk about the, the uh, Skate Master Tate Jam going through this part. Oh, yeah. Justice, Justice to, to the, the Base. base. Yeah, that also got adapted into the uh, Skate TV theme song, I think. Or yeah, that's right. In that. Yeah, but Skate Master so Tate, I, he's got a he's got a few songs in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think this this part's awesome. This part again, probably sold. I don't know. You tell me how many Steve sized boards this part <laughs> sold. Mark's riding one. Steve's riding one, obviously. Yeah, and it, and it's one of those things where it's just a simple session, but it's incredible that the, the mm-hmm. tricks. I mean. Eric does things, you know, the camera's locked off, bam, bam, bam. I think there's three or four tricks, you know, he just, and he skated like that all the time. He was, Mm -hmm. everything was different. No run was the same. He was always creating something fresh. And that was infectious. I mean, it drove size nuts. Um, (laughs) Really? It was, it was really, you know, it was compelling. It was just, and he was the master of that little ramp. You know, he just really was. I don't know. It was, it was fun. It was always entertaining. Those group, the energy in those sequences, I think throughout the whole video, the energy, energy is really authentic. There's a lot of genuine joy 
and just positive uh, collaboration, if you will, that takes place that it's not staged. It's, you know, it's not like Stacy saying, hey, go out there and act like you guys are really friendly toward each other and having a good time. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it just happened spontaneously. It was, it's, it's a fantastic feeling. Hey, quick question. This is for us, the skate, skate trick nerds out there. But uh, maybe, I don't know if you guys know this, NBD Archive, again, uh, shout out to NB, NBD to Archive. Is that the first time we see Steve Size? A uh, staple gun. You know what a staple gun is? I think yeah. so. Yeah, he does it yeah. forward, forward and backwards. backwards. Yeah. yeah, forward and backwards. And yeah. that when that trick came out, when people saw it, it was like, "What in the hell was that?" Yeah, so that was everyone kind of wanted to do that move. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if anybody could do a staple gun on vert. God, what a crazy concept that is. Yeah, <laughs> to bring that. Or if back anyone's down. ever done one on vert, that would be yeah, that would be scary as hell. And then we're back to uh, the science teacher returns. What was his name again? Professor Didactic. Yeah, you guys blew my mind. I always just call them the science teacher. (laughs) The concern of many in this day of uh, urban decay and suburban development is the question of what cities were originally designed for. A, a center for social intercourse. B, a headquarters for public processing. C, a convenient locale for gang warfare. D, a natural terrain for skateboarders. So, who, Jim, who was writing this dialogue for him? Was it you, or was it was it Craig? Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty much me. It was a little bit collaborative. Okay. Um, we had we had a rough idea, and and it was like, oh my god, we got to do another one because we, you know, I mean, we. And so we started with a rough idea and then it's like, okay, I guess that one, okay, let's do another one. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So let's do another one. And, you know, maybe coffee was involved. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty much done. I mean, it was done in one afternoon, if you will. Yeah. Getting the chalkboard, getting all of the tubes and vials and, you know, different things. You know, I yeah. went down to the prop house and got that stuff. So did you write X rated too? the dialogue um, in X rated for that actress? Well, that's funny. Okay, so we did a lot of uh, auditions for that. And that particular actress, she was really good. But um, that was pretty much wordplay between Craig and I, between Stesic and I. The reason I ask is because there's a line here um, in in this video, uh, Center for Social Intercourse. And then in X-rated, that sticker toss scene, yeah, for the ultimate in social intercourse, I was like, there must be the same. Social intercourse is a very important concept to be (laughs) referred to as often as possible. Yeah. So after that, we've got the LA boys. And this is, I know for a lot of people, like this is the scene for this video. Mm -hmm. Um, And that features Paulo Diaz, Rudy Johnson, Gabriel Rodriguez, who sadly uh, rests in peace. And yeah. uh, Guy Mariano. Yeah. And this almost feels like the sequel to Rubber Boys to me, in a way. Yeah. Like Stacy yeah. packaged those four guys together, whether they were best friends skating every day or not, I'm not sure. But kind Pretty of much. Take, taking that concept of like, let's get a group of friends, just show them jamming in the streets. And, and it's kind of the seems and feels like the same concept for Rubber Boys. And now we have the LA well, Boys. Well, you know, so it's funny because Lance. Mr. Mountain, Lance Mountain is not a salesman. He's very soft-spoken and he's subtle. And, you know, when he's, when he speaks softly, you learn to listen because there's wisdom in everything that he says, as it turns out. 
And I can remember we were in Silver Lake at the studio and he and Stacy were out in front on the street. And he was saying, yeah, no, you, you gotta, you gotta see these guys. And this is before public domain. And he said, yeah, it's just, they're the deal. You know, mm -hmm. it was just very, and he had, you know, cause he goes out and he skates with kids. He still does it. He still skates with kids mm -hmm. and he goes to parks, but he goes to neighborhoods. And so that sequence in band this, I, I mean, I, I, again, it goes back to the idea of kids of today. Oh, don't hit me, please, and skate. You know, it's like, here's a bus stop bench. This is one of the great skate parks in the world because they're <laughs> everywhere yeah. because buses exist and you can travel the earth and you're going to find bus stop benches. Here you go. You know, it's just, and, and I can, re I was there for that sequence and I can remember I was laughing. I, it was just comical. It was like, Okay, so how many stupid fucking tricks can you do on a bus bench? <laughs> yeah, Look, they go here off they are, on that you know? thing. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's just incredible. It's like an encyclopedic demonstration of all mm -hmm. of the variations of what can be done to a bus bench with a skateboard. Yeah. And then the other thing in, in the towards the end of the sequence, they're in the uh, schoolyard, and the going, the rolling toward the stairs and the handrail and different things. There's kids sitting. And there's debris and trash. I mean, that we rolled up, um, they they started skating, and everybody else stopped skating. And all those kids just became an audience. Mm -hmm. And it was just this natural progression of, oh, Rudy's here, oh, Guy's here, oh, you know, Gabriel's here, Paolo's here. You know, it's like after one of those sequences, they wanted to come up to Santa Barbara. And I don't remember what. So I had, I guess I had the Hell Van. Maybe it was my own car. So, and Bucky was involved too. And so we picked up Bucky and, and those four guys and I was going to get a hotel room. And I realized I didn't, I, 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 something. The ho there, was, there was one lame motel in Goleta that was close to Powell. So they ended up sleeping at my house and they took over the living room and we cushions and they slept on the floor. And I had a, uh, in my backyard, I had a shuffleboard court and it was, it was, when the house, when the housing tract was developed, some houses had swimming pools and some houses had, and our house was the model house that had a shuffleboard court and it was really nicely done. And then I had some of the blue elements from uh, the Powell Skate Tour. So there were basically two little wedge ramps about 36 inches high that were just the width of the shuffleboard court. And I can remember my wife about three o'clock in the morning because our bedroom looked out on the face of the backyard where the shuffleboard court was. And she had, and she said, do you think they're ever going to stop skateboarding? And I said, no, I, I don't think so. I don't think they will ever stop skateboarding. <laughs> and about five o'clock in the morning, I suddenly, I, I woke up about five and my wife was asleep and it was quiet in the backyard. And I went out into the living room and there were just bodies everywhere. Uh, it was a funny experience. And we, we still, I mean, they were, they're just four incredibly wonderful people. Mm -hmm. And the idea that Guy is taller than me now is just absolutely <laughs> absurd. Because I mean, he was about two and a half feet tall, you know, and Gabriel's passing was really, I mean, that was tough. I don't know. I, I think everywhere I went with those guys, whether it was to a castle contest or wherever it was, because we all stayed together down in San Diego for a castle contest. And that's when Rocco came up to me and said, so uh, how much are you paying these guys under the table? And I uh -oh. said, Steve, we're not paying these guys anything. He goes, oh, that's a big mistake. Wow. <laughs> so I talked to Stacy the next day and I said, you know, do you want me to say anything to Steve? He goes, no, let's think about it. So that was that was a defining moment because those those four 
skateboarders at that castle contest showed every amateur skateboarder in Southern California what they should be doing or you know what was possible to do that's what it was because I had that I had my longboard with the experimental sticker <laughs> on it and we were in the parking lot at the motel and guy grabbed it and he started to roll and I said oh that's my longboard it's really heavy you won't be able and he did like a a no comply kick flip shove it you know this combination mm -hmm. thing I was like oh I didn't know that skateboard was capable of doing anything like that. Oh, yeah, it was, that was, they were terrific. Yeah, I really like in this part, they almost give you like street skating 101 because they have like the, the graphics come in, like the rail slider, the fire hydrant, the bench, the wall, you know, the bank, yeah. you know, the whole yeah. stairs. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I just want to point out uh, in that part, in the crowd of kids is a young Billy Valdez. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I talked to Billy about that because he came up to the skate zone quite a bit in the quartermaster. Yeah. Well, he, I think he ended up on Powell and he's in, in the next video, I think. Did he really? Yeah. 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 It's pretty wild to me. I mean, there's, we've got three minutes of skateboarding here and then there's a 90 minute movie about three minutes of skateboarding. It's just like, that's yeah. how amazing this part is. Revolutionary. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, you got to wonder what would happen like if, if these guys had had stayed on Powell. You know, you got to wonder what like the the trajectory of the company if it would have been any different. You know, mm -hmm. well, we had that meeting with George, and you know, it was it it was well thought out. Stacy and Craig and I we we worked with Nick DiNapoli, who was in charge of the design department, and you know, we made a pitch to George, and it was it was good. You know, we 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 talked about it for about three months. And we worked out a lot of logistics ahead of time. And Stacy kind of let me take the lead on starting the conversation. And he filled in every once in a while, but I was pretty much the pitch man. And we basically, you know, the suggestion was Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk has a brand. He can call it whatever he wants. Lance Mountain has a brand. He can call it whatever he wants. Mike McGill, Steve Caballero, the Rubber Boys, you know. Mm -hmm. So we... We take your acumen as a businessman and, and we give everybody their own company and you manufacture all of the hard goods. You manufacture all of the soft goods, all of the design. We bring in more artists. They bring in their own artists. Everything is, and the words Powell Peralta get really small and Tony Hawk's brand gets its name and it gets big and, and George listened. You know, we were in there probably 45 minutes. He asked a few questions and he said, well, I'll think about it, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. And so that was sort of, you know, that was the beginning of the end of what had been. Yeah. And it was very soon after that, that Stacy, uh, I mean, we got to what we got to propaganda. And then that was, you know, that was def that was his last project. And, and he was so busy with other projects by that point that it was all, it wasn't an afterthought. I mean, it was, but it was, you know, so that it was, it was a real turning point when, because we were, all of us in that room, we were so certain that we had something in mind that would have worked for everybody. It would have worked for Tony. It would have worked for Paolo and all of those guys. I mean, it, it, you know, we, it was kind of like pirate skate. It's like, let's, mm -hmm. let's take over skateboarding. Let's really do something big and different. And George didn't want to do it. And ironically, of course, that's what happened 25 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, 20 years later, Tony has a brand, you know, McGill has his shop, 
cab is pretty much a brand in and of himself now as an mm-hmm. artist and as a musician and as a skater lance has got his own brand you know so mm-hmm. it happened it was a good idea jim why do you think george rejected that idea well there would be those that were in the conversation that said it had a lot to do with power and control and you know he was you know george is a brilliant guy he understands you know how to get people motivated and how to get people working for him and how to get people to accomplish things there's no doubt about that but he also you know he likes his name to be first you know it wasn't Peralta Powell it was Powell Peralta he was the quarterback at Hollywood High School you know he he wasn't a running back he wasn't the tight end you know he was the quarterback he likes being the quarterback and you know at, at Santa Monica High School I was the wide receiver I was out there on the outside man I didn't like going over the middle <laughs> uh, he he wanted to control that he wanted to be in charge and it was I think ultimately it was you know, maybe our mistake was that it was too big of a change too fast, but we really did do a lot of work in terms of numbers and manufacturing and how the wood shop could be operated and how it could, it would be seamless. And it would really come down to the designs, the shapes, the designs, and then the products identified with the brands and those designs that go along with that brand. Mm. So it's incredible um, to yeah. think, yeah, how that kind of panned out. Cause I mean, SB boys, but you'd also, you know, you'd be like, who else is in that video? You got Salman Aga, you got Javante, yeah. you know, you got yeah. guys that are on Powell that would go on to just be like yeah. massive, you know, people for other companies. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the most incredible thing about the whole uh, quote unquote breakup of the Powell team, if you will, is that Powell Peralta Powell was able to survive to this day without ever going under. That's the most incredible thing that they effectively lost all of their power to a certain extent. Now, mm-hmm. granted, as you get into the, you know, th- there is a, there is a whole new transition of folks that come in, Lance Conklin, Chris Sen, you know, sure. Mike Santa Rosa, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. But the fact that Powell survives to this day is absolutely incredible to me. Yeah. And he would, I think George would, you know, he'd go back to the strength of the product. If you take yeah. Bonite out of the <laughs> out of the conversation, <laughs> if you remove you know roofing paper, um, so you know the quality of the product he can and you know I learned a lot in the different projects that I worked on that were independent of Powell, the idea of being able to deliver a product. You know, so you're a retailer and you want some skateboards in your shop and you want them to be quality skateboards. A lot of retailers, you know, it's like, especially when I went on tour, you know, they didn't quite get what the tour stop would mean. So they would order 20 decks and their 20 decks that they ordered in advance of the appearance of the, of the Powell team would be gone once they announced that they, the Powell team that we were coming to their shop, those decks, those Powell decks were gone. So the, the impact of you know, a Tony, a new Tony Hawk design or, you know, cab or whatever it was, or Steve size. Mm. I can remember we went to, uh, when we were on tour, Disney world, what's it called in, is it Disney world in Florida? Yeah. Disney world. Yeah. So it had only been open a couple of years. This was in 88 when we were on tour in 88 and I, and we were walking, it was Mike McGill and Tony Hawk, myself. I don't remember the other skaters or probably size and all of the adults that we walked past just looked right through this tall blonde haired guy and these other guys. 
And every kid that was 12 years old, that's Tony Hawk. I mean, so the, the impact, the generational impact and the cultural awareness of kids and then the shop owner. So the shop owner might be a skateboarder or might likely in 88 wasn't a skateboarder. He was more of a businessman tapping into uh, something that was popular. It was definitely becoming popular. So the, the education that the, the tour stops provided retailer was like, holy shit, this is much bigger. And then it, when we started showing up with the uh, hydraulic ramp, you know, I can remember, you know, guys older than myself at the time, you know, sophisticated, I don't know, uh, in their 50s or even 60s, you know, they could have been engineers or construction guys. They were like, whoa, somebody spent some money on this fucking thing. Look at this. Mm. So they were impressed by the sophistication of the ramp. And then the kids got up on, you know, the skaters got up on the ramp and started skateboarding. So the impact of the, of always coming back to retail and the idea of here's Tony, here's Ray Underhill, here's Steve Size, they're behind the counter. And the store is, you know, hopefully the fire marshal doesn't come because I was there for what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's just pandemonium, right? Yeah. And it's just hero yeah. worship. And it's yeah. just like, Oh my God, he's actually here. Look, that's yeah. Steve Sot, you know, just and this. Look, look, let me tell you, when I went to that, I remember I had a, I had at that point in time, I had a GNS Neil Blender set up. Nice. And I went to the, went to the signing at Splash, which you remember there was a line up. You, I don't know. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you were there. There's a line out the door yeah. all the way down the strip mall. Yeah. And as soon as I got home, I got to, I got to set up a pile board like right now. <laughs> I took the trucks off and I got my black Tony Hawk bottle nose back out that had the razor tail and the, and the purple grip tape. And I'm like, set it back up. Cause I'm like, I'm so stoked on like this yeah. brand, right? You know what yeah. I mean? So uh, yeah, the importance of, uh, of that was definitely. Uh, so I, I think, correct. you know, George always from Powell, you know, becoming skate one and, you know, Powell Corp and, now that Stacy's come back, there's been about, you know, it's been almost 10 years that Stacy's name has kind of reappeared. But through those lean years, George did an excellent job of condensing his, I mean, employees got way down there. And there were people working real hard to take over all of the job positions that had been eliminated. And they're, you know, they're doing pretty well today. I mean, they're, the crew is back up. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people in sales. I mean, I know some of the salespeople, they've been there for more than 30 years. Wow. And, you know, that's the weird thing about the pandemic is that it was really excellent for skateboarding. Because if, mm -hmm. if you can't play Little League, or you can't play youth baseball, and you can't go outside, you know, to do these games, what can you do outside? Oh, wait a minute. You can get yourself a new deck. What kind of deck you want to get? Look, here's Powell decks. Wow, look at that. Definitely. You know, and now you've got Andy Anderson with a VCJ graphic, you know, it's like, right. wow, you know, Sakura, the gold medal winning women's gold medalist, you know, a new mm -hmm. VCJ graphic. So Court stoked, you know, we had, we interviewed him for our video project and he's really happy. He's, he's glad, glad to be back. So cutting back to LA boys again, real quick to maybe kind of <laughs> wrap that up. Bobby, did you have any more comments on them? Maybe uh, some of the tricks these guys are doing? You know, everything in there is top of the line. Like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna, you know, mm -hmm. there's a movie about it. Go yeah. watch it. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, one of the standouts is uh, obviously Rudy kick, kick the back tail on the, on the beach. 
and then Rudy becomes a, a force to be reckoned with later on. I think the handrails these guys are doing are are doing is on par with what Frankie Hill's doing too, like the you know totally the, the stair totally. count kind of thing. Yeah, totally. There's one in there that's insane. They 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 uh, caveman slide it, and it's like, oh what yeah, are you, it's like dead right into traffic. Looks like it's a school or something. They're yeah. up on the. Yeah, well, I'm sure we could go on and on about you know break down every every trick, but we we're I think we might have to make this a two parter. <laughs> We've been talking over two hours already, and we're about ten minutes into the video. <laughs> Kick it up a notch. Yeah. Well, I, I, along that line, I have a, a practical life problem. I'm running out of time. So, how much time do you have left? Um, I should have stopped about fifteen minutes ago. Oh, <laughs> okay. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to wrap it here, or you want to maybe we could do one more part, or I could just say well, that I, we, we're so gonna... next up is. It, from my notes, so there's Ray Underhill with Rector Reek. Yep, we yep. got that commercial, yeah. The passion. The stench. Now you don't have to be a skater to smell like one. Rector Reek 540 Men's Cologne. Available at Finer Skate Boutiques. That woman, I think, was Stacy's receptionist in Silver Lake. Wow. That's my memory. <laughs> and... So I, I don't think there's any like emotional um, attachment toward anybody or anything. That was just like a, one of those, you know, oh, we need a woman for this. Yeah. The passion and the stench. Rector yeah, Reek. the passion and the 540 stench. 540 men's cologne. <laughs> so who comes up with a concept for that kind of thing? I think that was, there was, there was something, you know, it had, it, so it came out of Ray's personality. I mean, chicks loved Ray. Yeah. You know, very he, handsome fellow handsome guy and just the great you know soulful demeanor and you know he had great hair i mean there was all these things going for ray and and tony loved ray being around and ray was just funny as shit and had a great wonderful sort of intellectually driven sense of humor so it was like oh we we need to do something with ray and you know so and then you know the, if you tr if you drove in the van for five minutes you couldn't breathe if the windows weren't open because of the of the rector reek so you know, I just, I think it came out of something that maybe Stacy kind of drove and then we put it together and then we get into the golf. Yeah. The greater, the greater gutter open. The greater gutter, gutter open. open. Yeah. The I mean, 119th annual. That's Dennis and I doing the narration. I, I recognize Dennis, but I wasn't sure who, who the yeah. other guy was. Oh, that, really? That's you? Yeah. You oh, and Dick Damage. Funny. Dick damage. Yeah. You know, that this part gets a lot of heat. Like this is kind of referred to as like, you know, when I don't know, when people talk about this video, they're like, get to the skating, you know, and they always talk about the greater gutter open. But I love this part. Yeah. <laughs> like I love it to this it's day. It's funny. It's so, it's so yeah. funny. Yeah. I, mean, I always wanted uh, this parking lot looked like it couldn't be any more random. And then oh, I, I so noticed random. today, yeah. When, Super club restaurant. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like uh what does it say? Coaches super club maybe so i googled I that know. and i couldn't i couldn't find it I, no, maybe it's, it's, I, it's i mean it doesn't i don't think it exists anymore and okay. it was it was it was down the street i think it was on sunset maybe hollywood boulevard was down the street from the hollywood tropicana there's a whole story there we can pick up some other time okay. but you know it's the thing about costuming and you know lance's big butt and i oh it's so good what, what's funny is <laughs> yeah. is that it, it's, it's so incredibly stupid but we we had so much fun doing it and and tony i mean size he loved it and it was like everybody discovered golf i mean 
yeah. I played golf, but nobody else did. And, and it was just, it was ridiculous. So, and the nuance of um, the narration that was going to go along with it, because we, you know, we didn't narrate it live, but we, we you know, we, we talked it through and just, oh, so it so was an good. educational experience for everybody else about yeah. how stupid golf is. <laughs> and, and ultimately, that's what it's all about, right? Is, I mean, it's, it's just a slam on golf. It's, has, you know, I know it's stupid, but golf is pretty fucking stupid. So, you know, if you're yeah. a skateboarder, come on, get behind it. Yeah. Yeah, you got, you got size as the caddy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. That's so I great. noticed uh, Ray's shirt is like that Powell Pralta bowling shirt. Yeah. That looks like it's from the Gold Rush trade show booth. Like everyone yeah, had yeah. those. It's got Stacy embroidered on it. So I guess yeah. that's he's wearing Stacy's. And you see it in uh, public domain in a couple scenes. So technically, yeah. it's like the third video appearance of this shirt. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, people, everybody on the sales force had one of those shirts with their name embroidered. I mean, it was basically a, it's a bowling shirt. Mm -hmm. and uh the crossbones on the back and you know that i can remember at that trade show booth we you know we had a skeleton who was known as the ripper that was hanging in court's workspace and then outside the workspace in the design department and so we had it articulated so it goes back to chris iverson and his ability to mechanically do things so the ripper was sitting inside the gold naga hide tuck and roll pyramid and there was a Ooh, little window right? and you yeah. could look inside the window. And when you looked inside the window, Ripper would raise its hand. We, we tried to engineer it so that he was giving anybody the finger every time he, his hand came up. But I don't think we ever succeeded in doing that. <laughs> and it would light up too inside too, right? I think. It was supposed to. And yeah. often, you know, there was a few mechanical problems. I once went and saw Iron Maiden at the uh, garden yeah. at Madison Square Garden. And yeah. uh, the Grand finale, I think it was, um, I forget what the song was, but they had a giant mechanical Eddie that came out of a coffin and he was in a uh, straight jacket. And when the song uh, started to uh, speed up, Eddie started to kind of wiggle and break out of the straight jacket. <laughs> this is what, this is what you sound like you're describing. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Anyhow. So I'm, I'm guessing those guys just kind of made those goofy tricks up like right on the spot. Yeah. All the little greater. Yeah. I mean, tricks. We, there was nothing planned. Yeah. 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 Shove it souffle. Shove and... it souffle over, <laughs> over easy. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Didn't expect to see that here today. That's right. <laughs> it's also good. Yeah. this. All right. That's going to do it for part one of our band. This episode, it turned out to be such an epic length uh, conversation about this video. We're going to have to chop it up or you'd be listening to about 10 hours of podcasts at once. So we're going to have to just uh, put this out in two parts, I think. So we'll have part two coming out soon. Absolutely. But uh, man, wow. What a, what a wealth of in information was, was dished out today. <sighs> I can't, man. My mind is blown. Yeah, I mean, legit blown. I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, uh, excited for the rest of it. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed part one. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they will. So, as usual, we've got the Bones Brigade mailbag here, and uh, we've gotten quite a bit of emails coming in lately. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I've. It's, it's getting to the point where they're getting hard to keep it, keep track of. Yeah, so, yeah, I need a, to I mean, figure out awesome. a better better system for yeah. uh, filing these away. 
Yeah, we got a, got a few uh, got a few mailbag submissions that we're gonna go through uh, this time around, and then we'll do some more um, going forward. But we're gonna do uh, three mailbag submissions, Sweet. and the first one, uh, John H says, "Hello, Matt and Larry. I am new to skateboarding at forty after being casually interested in it for most of my life." Wow. Yeah, I that's awesome. I've only uh, watched a few videos on YouTube and the only Bones Brigade video being the search for Animal Chin. I found your show from a skateboard group on Facebook and decided to give it a listen. I just have to send a message to say I love it. I listen to your shows, having never seen the video you're discussing, but the detail and passion you and your guests have for them is engaging and delightful. I plan to listen to all the episodes, then go and watch the videos and listen again after each video. Man. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, I do have a question for you guys. Do you plan on doing a, an episode on Lords of Dogtown? Stacy's in it and he did the screenplay. What about Dogtown and Z Boys? I know it's a documentary, but I would at least like to hear your thoughts on it. Keep up the good work. So that's from John H. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, John. Starting skateboarding at age 40. That's, that's incredible. That's awesome. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Welcome to the club. I think a lot of people probably are, are, you know, if not maybe starting at 40, but probably there's a lot of people that are kind of getting back into kind of it, getting back into you know? it. Yeah. yeah but starting from scratch at 40, that's, that's awesome. That's pretty Congratulations, incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. But to answer his questions about uh, those videos and actually, yes, those two are on the list um, of videos that we're going to review here. We do have a list. Yeah. I originally put, you know, Dogtown and Z-Boys documentary on there, you know, because I guess maybe in the context of the show, you could call it the prequel to the Bones Brigade, yeah, you know, and yeah. it was made by Stacey Peralta. So I was like, we definitely mm -hmm. got to include it. And then I thought, well, you know what? Heck it. If we're going to go there, we might as well do the uh, Lords. So do the Lords of Dogtown. So and we, I've actually never seen Lords of Dogtown. No way. I have never seen it. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. yeah. So I'll need so, to I'll need to buckle down on that one. Yeah. So we'll yeah, we'll get we'll get to those. So those will be all coming in the future. Um yep. kind of letting some cats out of the bag here. We'll call that <laughs> okay. the, the prequel, the prequel era of the yeah. Bones Brigade saga. Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Yeah, very, thank very you, John. cool. Hope your uh skateboarding pursuits are are awesome. All right. Uh we got Mark. Hey, I love the show slash podcast. Please keep them coming. Quick question. At the end of Axe Rated, you played three songs. What's the last song? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Did I play? Oh, so the three songs were, I played the outro credit song from the Axe Rated video. I don't know mm -hmm. what that's called. That might just be some kind of public domain also the, type uh, song. Yeah, it's in public domain. Yeah, too. that's right. And, yeah. you know, and then I played, I can't remember what I played next, but the other two songs, I think it was The Year of the Tate by skate master tate and oh, then nice. and then after that was a song called vast difference from odd man out okay and that's you know steve caballeros and uh, ray stevens band after the faction so that was the last song yeah vast difference, i can't right? remember what i put if it's skate master tate or odd man out first or you know but those oh, are the, okay. the two songs so the song from the credits of the video and then i put those two songs because those songs are the portions of yeah. those songs are in the axe rated video so i just kind of put some well, there you on. go yep all right and then we got one for uh in response to the world tour 89 episode which just came out a little while ago uh another killer show when i was in my early teens i used to skate off and on with guy mariano we grew up in the same town of burbank california 
Oh, wow. He was about 12 years old and originally started skating vert. In fact, we both had vert ramps in our backyards. This was around 1987 before he left, or I'm sorry, before he was sponsored by Val Surf in North Hollywood. If I remember, I went to the tryouts also to skate for Val Surf and didn't make the team, but Guy just got put on. At one Powell demo in Northridge, California, again before he was sponsored by anyone, he started busting out ho-hos mid-demo and had Tommy Guerrero and the other Paul guys stop and watch him. A circle formed around him. Oh, wow. uh, sorry, just hard to find a group of guys from this era that get stoked on skating. So when I get the shot, I ramble on. We know the feeling. Yeah, we know the feeling. I do have a quick question. Why in the earth in Paul videos, they played punk in the background. Then when they... When the, I'm sorry, then when the search for Animal Chin came out, they pretty much stopped playing punk and played kind of generic instrumentals. So that was from Mario. Mario, thanks for writing. That's yeah. incredible. Your buddies with Guy Mariano were ripping yeah. it up in That's Burbank and North, cool. North Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the music, I don't know. I guess Animal Chin, you could say, was scored in a way. You know, it's yeah. you know, kind of like a movie. And then I think at that point, they're probably thinking, you know, getting the music rights for other random punk songs or whatever. But I don't know. In the earlier videos, a lot of those songs are original to the videos, too. Um, yeah. I can only think of maybe Youth Brigade and and mm -hmm. the Faction that are in the first video. And then there's those kind of uh, those punk songs in Future Primitive. They're kind of credited to uh, Los Pukes which yeah. is just like Dennis Dragon in the studio. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. As far as Animal Chin, you know, they kind of just scored it like a movie, I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just guessing that's that's the reason. I know that Powell, you know, they were always, through, through the first, at least up through Ben this, you know, maybe even through propaganda. They, definitely through propaganda. They were, they almost like got to the point where they were really almost doing their own music exclusively toward yeah. those, the end of those videos. I think like yeah. by the time they got to propaganda, I don't think they were using any like outside. I could be wrong. I don't think they were using any outside music. I think it was all like in-house, not in-house, but you know, like it was Chuck yeah. Trace, it was Dennis Dragon. It was like they were having music kind of made for those videos. Yeah. Yeah. That's so why they, we were so shocked on that world tour 89 episode where they're just using like, rock just music yeah, yeah 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 and then they uh that doesn't last i don't know if that i don't know I, by eight might be a little bit of that on eight but mm -hmm. i think but by, by i think eight's probably the last video that they kind of use like kind of that i don't know what you mean proprietary sort of music and then they sort of go back to the normal songs from bands well I, there's even i think uh celebrity tropical fish they don't even use music anymore they stripped it all the way yeah down to nothing but yeah, good question. Good yeah. question. Yeah, I think probably a lot of people, I think probably a lot of people, you know, have mixed feelings on the Animal Chin soundtrack. I love it. You know, Yeah, I love it too. I can't imagine it having just like TSOL and Youth Brigade and whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just yeah, needs yeah. to have that music in it. But yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I was always hoping they'd put out more of the songs. I know on the Bones Brigade uh, or the Animal Chin Special Edition DVD, there's kind of like a hidden soundtrack yeah, section yeah, in there where they have right. some other songs. Yeah. Um, but I know they've got they've got more. So 
I was always hoping they'd do another disc or just have it on iTunes or something. You know, all of the original Bones Brigade members are, are together right now. So maybe that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> all right. All was right. that it for the mailbag? Was there any more? This uh, week there's or? more, but you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll say we'll keep it to three and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll save the rest for next time. Alrighty. This has already been a long enough episode. I think people are probably already nodding off. Yeah, for sure. But if you'd like to send us an email f- to read on a future episode, we'd uh, love to hear from you guys. So you can uh, drop us a line through our Instagram, which is the Bones Brigade Audio Show, or just go to thebonesbrigadeaudioshow.com and go to our contact page and you can send us a traditional email uh, right through our contact page. So, and we'll get them and uh, we'll get it on a future episode. There it is. Awesome. Anything else, Matt, you want to toss at the end of this thing? No, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm fried. I'm, I'm really, really, really thankful for, for uh, Bobby and Jim joining us today and laying yeah. down all that, that knowledge and yeah. uh, super, super excited for episode two, part two, yeah. this part two, this, this is a video that has a uh, really, really special, you know, place for me. Like this was one that like, I still like public domain more, but this is my second favorite. So there you go. Yeah. Alrighty. Until next time, everybody, I'm Larry. I'm Matt. Reminding you to never stop searching for chin.